want to go into stasis for the rest of the trip and forfeit 18 months' wages? Do you want to listen to Dwarf Cast by Ganymede and Titan? Shoes. Awoga, this is a Dwarf Cast. Hello and welcome to issue 6 of the Dwarf Cast magazine rack, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the series in which we reread, digest and dissect every single edition of the Red Dwarfs magazine issue by issue, whether we want to or not. I'm Ian Symes, genetically engineered to make you think I'm the best at discussing old magazines on podcasts, <laughs> and vying for my affections, as usual, are Jonathan Capps, Hello. And Danny Stevenson. I'm never letting you go, Ian. I'm <laughs> gonna give you up. <laughs> Today we're covering Volume One, Issue Six, and as always, we recommend having the mag in front of you as you listen. And if you don't have a physical copy, you can find a link to the PDF in the show notes on your podcast app or at www.ganymede.tv. But before we dive in, it's time to take a trip back in time to this issue's cover date of August 1992. My favourite bit. <laughs> Intimate photos of Sarah Ferguson's toes being sucked by Texan businessman John Bryan are published by the Daily Mirror. The Duchess of York was 32 years old at the time and thus no longer of any interest to her husband. This month saw the deaths of composer John Cage and author Mary Norton, but also saw the birth of actress Holly Earle, who by the age of seven had not learnt to successfully pronounce the word Vimto. <laughs> it was a big month for British sports, with Linford Christie winning Olympic gold, Nigel Mansell crowned Formula One champion, and the launch of the FA Premier League, which saw all previous football records expunged from existence, and has in no way led to a huge power divide in reliance on obscene sums of money to buy success that were initially predicted. Its impact on television saw the launch of Sky's indelible Super Sunday and Monday Night Football brands, as well as the return of Match of the Day as a regular weekly fixture. Elsewhere, British shot historical adventure series Covington Cross aired, featuring a young Chloe Annette and a village that would later be overrun by Kinatawawi. When this magazine was released on the 30th of July, the number one film in the UK box office was Mac McDonald vehicle Batman Returns. And leading the way in the music charts was the Newcastle-based actor, musician and frequent Red Dwarf guest star Jimmy Nail, with Ain't No Doubt, which also went on to inspire a scene in a robberous. Mac wasn't in Batman Returns. What? He was? He wasn't. Was he in Batman? Yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, I thought this was a joke about how we thought that Mac was in loads of different films. Yeah, let's say it was that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just leave it in there, see if anyone notices. I mean, he probably, probably was in some, like, you know. He, was, he only made it to the script stage, though. He was there in spirit. And with all that in mind, let's whip our magazines out of their polythene folders and take a look at the cover, which is startling. It's good, isn't it? I like it. <laughs> I, I like it. Colin Howard has um, signed it around Crown's watch, which was quite clever. Cause oh, yeah. There, sp- I was just looking at that, actually, yeah. and I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, of course. It's a very, very good... Um, it's very good. It's interesting how... I don't know how Colin does this, actually, because he's able to make Crichton do a face that I've never seen him actually do. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? And it looks, and it's 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 right, and then there's this adorable little thing in his hands, and it's like, and I, we don't know what the hell this is. <laughs> I assumed it was um, it was going to be just a rip-off of Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah. But then I guess my first clue should have been there's only one on the cover. So <laughs> if it was going to be like that, there would have been everywhere. The Trouble with a Tribble. 
Is it Geep or Jeep? I would say Geep. Everyone assumed for years that it was Geep, but then the inventor of the uh, comic <laughs> spoke out many years later and said it was actually Jeep, but no one listened to him. I, I, I get that reference. <laughs> I don't know. It stands for genetically engineered something or other, yeah, so yeah. it sh- should be the same as Gelf. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're mm. But we and are if... possibly the first people to say that word out loud Jeff. for some 30 years <laughs> <laughs> since this magazine was made. So I think we've proven, though, that you should be saying GIF, and anyone who thinks <laughs> that it's GIF are insane idiots, because there's a G at the start, therefore the sound is J. What, like GIF? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was my... <laughs> that was my uh, ironic, like... Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's GIF, it's GIF, it's GELF. <laughs> it's GIF, it's GIF, it's GELF. Don't forget the GIF on GIF Lemon Day. Originally, it was uh, the Jeep, but then they changed it to the Seep in order to bring it in line with the European market. <laughs> Passed uh, away peacefully in his Jeep. <laughs> Unfortunately, they can, they can make you love them a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, the design of it is really cute. Yeah, it looks just like a cat on the front cover, but when you get into the comics and stuff, it look, it's obviously much more like a teddy bear. Yeah, with sort of cat-like face and teddy bear body. Well, it reminds well, me. Well, yeah, of those poor the, the artist, uh, the comic has a different artist to the cover, so there's a. It's not exactly the same art style. It looks like those poor bastard cats that have been engineered to have tiny legs. Oh, the ones scratch things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they can't jump or can't jump do anything that a cat wants to do. But <laughs> they're cute. The, the comic does have another artist and one with an excellent name Vince Danks Vince Danks well yeah let's turn it over because that's where the content and credits are where you first look at the word Vince Danks Vince Danks they've made a mistake actually by not putting it in capital letters but I'm sure they'll fix that next next issue yeah so I guess the Geep comic strip written by Anne Wright Anne Wright has turned up before hasn't she or has she not you're thinking of Ian Wright. <laughs> uh, maybe not then. I thought maybe she was the author of the the weird comic from the Parallel Universe sequel, but probably not. No. Um, hold on. This will edit seamlessly. <laughs> no, Capsy, you idiot. Uh... <laughs> you thick titanium plank. <laughs> Uh, the previous comic strip was Howarth and Lions. Anne Wright is a new name. Uh-huh. Anne Written. <laughs> so I just that, had to pick up. That was the instruction that she got from Mike <laughs> Butcher, the editor. Anne Wright. I just want to pick up something before we kind of dig into the, the, the content here. So the cover calls this The Red Dwarf's Magazine. Oh, yeah. The top of the credits calls it The Red Dwarf Magazine. Mm. And in the editorial, he calls it Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing else. So why not force him to buy a copy of Red Dwarf? It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, do you mean the book? The <laughs> yeah. video? The model? The intellectual property? <laughs> yeah, the IP. <laughs> uh, that can lead to legal action some 30 years down the line. <laughs> yeah, twice on the on page two, it's Red Dwarf magazine. 
I guess that's probably the legal name of it. Maybe. You know how we like and everything's got address. a brand name and a legal name. Three times <laughs> there's an address <laughs> which is Red Dwarf Magazine Fleetway Edition. Yeah. Only if people put Red Dwarf Magazine on the front, does it end up like a cat pain black udder kind of like a problem <laughs> like, we can't accept that letter because it's written. <laughs> I wonder, because this is these these issues are all copyright Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, I, I wonder if this is a small part of the current proceedings. <laughs> Since we know it's centred around intellectual property. <laughs> Who owns the rights to the keep? <laughs> to the keep. Like, Doug's got a whole movie script written around them, but uh, can't can't release it. Oh, there's geeps flying out of Rob's butt's <laughs> I'm going to geep just thinking about it. <laughs> it's giving me the geep. Let's actually discuss the comic then, as we're here. Yeah. Mixed feelings. The colour palette is incredibly mental. <laughs> it's, it's re I don't I can't yeah. even describe it. It's, it's like clearly this like, artist's just, like style, right? It's like yeah, it's like a very neon esque. It's just yeah, it's really stark contrast and stuff. The picture of the dwarf actually obviously it must be like a redraw from a like a, a screenshot or something, but it's incredibly mm. bloody detailed. You get very good cool. you get a good sense of scale from that, don't you? Really, yeah. Like better than better than any sense of scale you really get from the model, really. Like it, it's it's quite impressive. Yeah, it's really. But good. yes, you're right. I think that backdrop is not her. Uh, like Vince, these nebula. Vince Danks is the only credited artist for the comic itself. Oh, him, sorry. Yeah, good old Vince Danks. He knows how to do a red dwarf, but uh, he doesn't know how to do close-ups. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. It seems like there's a relatively small palette. It's like if this was a digital document, you'd say that it only had like 32 colors in it or something. Yeah. Or maybe even less than 32. Oh, it's like it's like Tandy color scheme, you know, like everything's pink and t- cyan. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's CMYK, like that's yeah. like literally yeah. that's what they're playing with. They're just playing with the actual, you know. I prefer Jackass personally. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder as well like the process of actually printing a magazine is whether you're told like this is our palette because this is the type of ink that we're going to be using and... i think with its color it doesn't really matter um but obviously it's definitely sort of hand painted which is really yeah nice. yeah that's true actually yeah it's the painting job that that maybe not saves it but is probably the best part of the art i would say there is a a, a bizarre choice of colouring that we'll come to in a bit that like I have no idea what the artist was thinking but we'll get there. But yeah, it's great. I do like this. Like so who hasn't played Scrabble and has basically been there meditating for about half an hour trying to find a decent word that isn't just putting the S on uh, an S on the end of another one. <laughs> uh, that's quite relatable. But then we are kind of just repeating just that's not how you pronounce it <laughs> uh, yeah there's been three original comics so far and this is the second of which to open with them playing a board game yeah, that's yes. true. because you had Trivial Pursuit in, one of the, in the first one I mean what else are they going to do yeah like a brief to sort of start your story uh, with everyday life on board and what you imagine that will be. It's not inconceivable for two people to go for similar ideas. I mean, you, you, you know, like Time Slide starts off with them playing like yeah. Samsara. Yeah, 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 even in Samsara, the latest yeah, ones. Exactly. Yeah. And Monopoly. 
I've got the later examples of just Doug ripping off this magazine, of course. <laughs> yeah. And on that subject, we might as well skip around a bit. This comic features Rimmer going into power saving mode and going sort of semi translucent, so he's definitely <laughs> ripped it off for the Promised Land. Yeah, it, it, there's a little less jeopardy in this this story than there was in the Promised Land, perhaps. But I find it odd that, for a start, it's incredibly unlikely that they will come across a pod from Earth. A. So that's that's amazing in itself. But for Lister then to then think, oh, maybe it's got an ex-girlfriend of mine on it. Let's go and find <laughs> out. <laughs> Is like quadrillions to one chance. <laughs> it's someone that he knew back on Earth as well before he even went into <laughs> space. Yeah, exactly. Why would she be in space? Why would she be alive th- three million years later? <laughs> Why would she want anything to do with you? Because... Uh, this is Susie Patel we're talking about. This is Susie Patel. Who um, worked behind the counter at the Taj Mahal Tandoori Takeaway on Miranda. Oh, so it was on Miranda. Right, it was okay. on Earth. Right. She looked like a cross, Tina Turner and Christine Kachansky. Uh, but she usually smelled of a mixture of shami kebab, lime pickle and chicken vindaloo. So it's essentially Indian people smell of curry, but it was all right because this one was hot. <laughs> no, she's working in a tandoori. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well-intentioned, but the use of a bad stereotype. Yeah, it kind of speaks to like the lack of maybe like South Asian stars at the time that you have to cross Tina Turner with someone white to imagine a pretty yeah. Indian girl. But I mean, all you had was uh, what's his name from uh, from Short Circuit. <laughs> <laughs> It's the second straight podcast where he's come up. Oh, is it? Well, yeah. that was May, to be fair. April. <laughs> no, we only released it a month or so ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and quite in hopes that there's just some random fucking computer game on it. Well. <laughs> yeah. Super Scrabble. Well, <laughs> I guess, like, you know, yeah, it's one of those things that you just go into, like, a bed and breakfast or doctor's waiting room scrabble will probably be around somewhere so that's a fair assumption i mean has anyone ever seen anyone play a board game in a waiting room N- not seen them play but i've seen board games in waiting that's rooms. what i mean they're there but like yeah like how long are you there really to be able to well i'm here i'm scrabble here to uh check up room. on this pretty worrying lump but do you want a round of scrabble <laughs> That's how they spell out the diagnosis. <laughs> it's something that's bad news, I'm afraid. I think the best way to describe it is... Hang on, hang on. I need to get the right letters. Yeah. I'm just I'm just waiting for a C. <laughs> <coughs> oh, no. I, was just, I was just thinking it was like a soothsayer picking out a random set and just throwing them on the table and reading them like bones. That's what you've got. It's... <laughs> It's come up S T I. Oh, I've got Josiski. <laughs> oh, it means sit and wait for the waiting room, <laughs> so the doctor can have a look at my gonorrhea. <laughs> oh, fucking good score though. Gonorrhea on a triple word. <laughs> so yeah, the keep itself. You're right. It, it looks like a. Tele- it looks like a. It looks like a gremlin, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks a bit like a mogwai. mogwai. Yeah. yeah, mogwai. Sorry. You're racist. Well, you know, if we're going to get super nerdy about it, Mogwai's are gremlins. Every thousand, yeah, every thousand gremlin is a Mogwai. That's the that's the law. Oh, yeah. I said I thought they were all I thought they were all the same. <laughs> Just further examples of your gremlin racism. <laughs> every thousand gremlins is a good one. That's a Mogwai. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
But yeah, it's a cute little thing. It's, it's, it just looks like a teddy with the biggest fucking eyes ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really want to realise one of these now. I want someone to build one. <laughs> build my perfect geep. You don't even need the mind-altering properties of it. Just based on appearance, you have the say. You have the mm. desired effect. Yeah, I just yeah, I want one. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty like you know, cats essentially do this. What? Yeah. Oh, they they do. They alter your brain chemistry, don't they? they yeah. Actually, there's something about they they there was a thing about cats releasing a thing that makes you want to take take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they um have adapted their little chirps. And meows to be closer to the pitch of a human baby. Yeah. Yeah. They're little bastards. <laughs> <laughs> but so this is a genetically engineered one that skips all those yeah. years of evolution and yeah. just injects that into a teddy bear, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of looks like a bit like a Teddy Ruxpin thing as well. It just looks like one of the <laughs> electronic toys that were just, you know, read you a Murder topic. you in the night. Just every shot involving the geep is like the cutest it can possibly be. And just yeah. looks incredibly worried all the time. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a massively groundbreaking story, but it's alright. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty it's, fine. it's a it's a it's a cool idea. It's the idea it's... yeah, the idea that these things cause wars is the is the serious problem with it. People will, will defend to death this thing. Yeah. That's a, well that's favourite dwarf. That's the sort of thing you'd imagine. Like a, a little explainer paragraph in a Red Dwarf novel about how the Geep started the Fifth and Sixth World Wars or something, you know? Yeah. 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 And apparently in these wars, Lister would have been fighting on the Soviet side based on that panel on the next page. <laughs> the, <laughs> with the red dreadlocks. Over it. Yeah, red stripe dreadlocks blowing in the wind, finger in the air, and then these little Geep are just like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, my brain's just imagining what that thing sounds like, and it just, it sounds adorable. It probably <laughs> says Geep. Geep, Geep. Uh-uh. <laughs> like a Pokemon, just says its own name over and over again. That's its language. <laughs> okay, so the, the the next page, when um, Crichton slams his head against the wall to reset himself, I thought someone did that to him. I thought Lister did something <laughs> to Crichton, like he threw something at him that made him bang his head against the wall. I didn't realise it was him doing it to... <laughs> to break his loop. Sometimes some stuff in comics is like ambiguous if you're not really fully yeah. concentrating. Oh, if it's maybe not communicated. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tricky to do, man. It's tricky to do. Yeah, that's actually that that part as well is kind of shows. Well, maybe not one of the limitations of this artist, but one of the choices they made, which is all of the extreme close-ups are like traced from, or are, are, are copied from publicity yeah. shots. You know, yes, Crichton with his hands on his cheeks. You got that one, which is from the smeg up. Yeah, when they're when they're so familiar to us after yeah thirty years of them knocking about, yeah, it's really noticeable. But on that same page as Crichton clanging his head, uh, underneath that is a lovely little touch of Crichton's head being used as a scene transition the in wall. close up. So yeah. it sort of blends into the wall. There's no like stark lines dividing those two panels. It's oh, like a yeah. crossfade. It yeah. is what the telly equivalent would be. That's nice. very cool. It's like, it reminds me of like an Edgar Wright sort of pan shot that goes from yeah. the other. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's a shame that like when stuff is done so well, you don't notice it. And I suppose that's the point, but you kind of want to appreciate it, and it's difficult if you don't notice it. <laughs> Whereas anything that's a bit off is just going to jump out immediately. Mm, sure, right. It's really hard to, to name a good sound designer, a sound engineer, because it's supposed to be untraceable. 
it's only the mistakes that will stand out. When you do something right, people won't know you've done anything at all. Yeah. Speaking of which, Lister appears to be walking through the Teletubby spaceship. It, and it, <laughs> it, it is funny how you can like you start to normalise the colour because I didn't really notice when I was reading this that there's anything off with the colours because it's just <laughs> I mean, how it is. But fuck it out. It's, with his it's just green trousers. It's just really contrasting, like red and greens and just yellows and blues, and it's like this, just this kind of like almost like childlike colour palette of you. Yeah, headache inducing. It's very weird. It's the massive bazookoid that's entirely pastels. Yeah, that was my um, that was my artist going slightly mental <laughs> with the colouring pencils. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Every different section. It's a super soaker. Yeah. It doesn't appear to actually do much damage because, like, he well, he wrecks the ship, but he fires it directly at the cat <laughs> more than once, <laughs> and. He must have terrible aim, or it's it's just a toy weapon. Yeah, it's not built. It's not built for close range. <laughs> yeah, you, you could get an episode out of this. Well, I, I mean, technically, they did. It's kind of worms. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow, you've made me appreciate this comic even more now. It's better than kind of worms. Yeah. <laughs> So a genetically engineered creature that's meant to be cute is exactly what the morphlings are. Uh, yeah. 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 Yet another example. Not saying that don't yeah. at this, but it already cannibalizes film script, so what you, where'd you go next? <laughs> Although the difference is, yeah, the the cat doesn't come in and just kill it because it's his child. Mama Mama no always knows her kids. <laughs> yeah. Look. Can of worms was weeks ago. <laughs> It still hurts. <laughs> this has more consistent character motivations than kind of worms. Yeah. Well, the geep is very cute. I yeah, and I, you're right. Every single panel it's in, it's just got these terrible... It reminds me of my dog. Like, she's constantly <laughs> worried. Exactly... <laughs> like, whatever you're doing to this thing, it's not liking it, whatever it is. <laughs> it's just getting thrown about. No wonder it's fucking terrified. I mean, this thing's been shot at. It's been thrown about, it's yeah. been used as bait, it's just fucking just yeah. <clears throat> Poor little bastard. I do like I do like the idea of like how cats show love is to eat. <laughs> what I fucking hate about this thing though is that the, at the end they just put it back in an escape pod and fuck it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone else is putting it. So Awful. so Doug Doug got the idea for Irene E. <laughs> for <me. laughs> no, this isn't this is a Doug script because <laughs> the new character survived. Yeah, and, yeah, it feels harsh, but then again, you know, it's it's you know, but then again, I'm not realizing how serious this thing is, of clearly, <laughs> because yeah. I'm doing what everyone else is doing, is going, oh, it's, it's cute, don't yeah, it's got you, <laughs> Shit. yeah, it's like the Mona Lisa as well, its eyes follow you around the page, <laughs> yeah, you can always make eye contact with it. I tell you what, it reminds me of a little bit, and it, it, it's a cartoon from God knows how long ago, uh, I think it's like 1940s, it's called One Froggy Evening. And it's about this frog that's found in a box in a cornerstone in a building. The building gets knocked down, and this guy discovers this this box. It's a Looney Tunes cartoon. Well, it's where um, the "Hello, my baby, hello, my honey" music comes from from Spaceballs. It's from that cartoon. <laughs> and um, they find this box in this cornerstone, and he opens it up and finds this little frog alive. And then the frog comes out and starts singing and dancing with a top hat and cane, and it's like doing tap dance. And this guy <laughs> thinks, oh, "I'm going to make an absolute fortune with this frog." So he books out an entire theatre, gets all the tickets sold, brings the frog out and does fuck all, right? Just sits there and does absolutely nothing. 
you know, just literally, that's literally it does. It just makes that noise. That and then it was like, well, what the fuck is this? And then and he basically ruins his life. Like he just puts all his money into this thing, completely ruins his life. And then he basically what he does is he just takes the frog, put it back in the box, and put it in the next garden stone for the next building. And it's just like, <laughs> how long has this been going on for? <laughs> you know, it's just like this this constant, this really weird concept for a cartoon from like the, the frog just financially ruining opportunists <laughs> endlessly. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, it was just one of the things where like so nothing really happens at the end, but it's just like it's just it comes in, does a bit of chaos, and then just like fuck it's like an anti PT Barnum thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah, oh, you gotta yeah. try and exploit me. I'm just gonna sit here and croak you. Fuck. Yeah, I'm gonna fuck you. <laughs> and then I'm going to have you. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a frame where Lister confronts Rimmer against a Japanese flag. What? On the last page of the comic. <clears throat> oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't see that, but yeah, it's, it's yeah these kind of weird artistic ideas. It's just like 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 if it had just been on a white background, it would look like Rimmer wouldn't needs to be in contrast. So you need that, and it's like you need something to differentiate. And he hasn't done a background. It's like it's just these weird stylistic choices that just like you'd you know why we're not artists is because we don't think of doing this kind of stuff. The abstract stuff. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, though, if I was an artist, I probably would think of the idea of tracing close-ups. Oh, 100%. Why would you <laughs> as is, if you had access to... Exactly. You know, to as is the last material. panel on this, which I think is a mm. four, series four? Artists yeah. use reference material all the time. Oh, they yeah, 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 they do, yeah. And stuff and That's fair in. enough. And the, the, Yeah, the likenesses are pretty good. Like the Rimmer's, Rimmer's likeness is pretty consistent throughout, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's uh, decent. Yeah, it's a good one. Good Lister as well. Looks very young, actually. He looks like he's like late teens. That last panel, yeah, it's like a smoothed yeah. Lister. De aged. <laughs> Airbrushed. <laughs> You've youthed me. <laughs> it's a good comic. It's a nice little thing. It's just like, like I said, the colours are. It's, it's a comic book, so it can kind of really, it can kind of really go out with the, the colour palette, but yeah. it's. Uh, I like it a great deal more than the um, Parallel Universe one. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, this is a really good Lot original more. comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because really. no one had sex with anyone. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that's. I get the feeling that we're going to have some more of that in the future. But <laughs> right, well, Yizox, right? <laughs> <laughs> Next up, the art of lying. Yeah. Crichton shares his knowledge of the wonderful world of deception. It's it's nice enough, but it is just a vehicle for repeating jokes from the show. Mm. With a tiny bit of <laughs> modern sensibilities thrown in there. Like, mm, that pot noodle was delicious. I mean, yeah, that's that's just the red <laughs> thing. Neighbours is an excellent television programme. Well, yes, it it is and was. I really hope we haven't missed the American wrestling. And I do wish the Bay City Rollers would stage a comeback. Like, I mean, did the, did the Bay City Rollers need to take down a peg or two? <laughs> really? Or is this a bit too specific to the author's uh, opinions here? It doesn't seem to like anything foreign. Series 7 breaks that because um, having Bay City Rollers' greatest hits was in Crichton's head. So Yeah, that's uh, another thing that Doug ripped off. Yeah, uh, fucking hell. I'm certain Neighbours has been mocked yeah. in a previous magazine. 
In fact, I think if I remember rightly, I think it was about gunning. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in a rather so, unnecessarily oh. violent fucking fashion. Yeah, it was de rigueur at the time to the neighbours was the popular program that you sneered at if you thought you were clever. Yeah. yeah. This reminds me of when Crichton is talking to the psychiatrist in Back in the Red. Yeah. This is the series eight Crichton. I'm hearing this whole thing. We're fucking on to you, Doug. <laughs> there is one interesting continuity thing of note. I say interesting. It it says I wouldn't have even been able to meet Camille had I not been able to trick Hudson, my replacement, into believing the ludicrous notion that Sudikin Heaven doesn't exist. My switching to lie mode literally saved my life. It's a well documented sort of continuity error that yes. you have the last day, which resolves itself with Crichton lying, and yeah. then in yeah. the very next episode to air, he breaks his programming. <laughs> Uh, in order to lie. But my headcanon, which I think is from the Plot Inconsistencies project originally, is that he could lie to a fellow mechanoid. Oh, he, he stumbled into it once, and then Lister was like, hey, we should build on that. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Okay, that, mm. that got us out of a scrape. This could be useful. Yeah, that's, like that's evolution. Teaching. Like, you know, there was a random mutation uh, in Crichton's uh, behaviour <laughs> Yeah, because it was a life or death situation, <laughs> and he had to save the crew. Yeah, it's good that I like that. But yeah, it's, it was an opportunity to address that properly, but instead it just mentions the contradiction without addressing the fact that it's a contradiction. Yeah, yeah it's good. And that is that. Yep, it really is. But then we get onto the meat, oh. or at least the, the written meat of this, <laughs> which is the Grant Naylor interview. Longer than all the previous interviews, and rightly so, and like obviously it's Robin Doug, it's going to be more interesting than any cast member. Yes. Especially what we know about what comes later in two different eras, like a few years from here and then 30 years from here. Yeah. No, that's what I was going to say. So the timeline of this interview is post-Series 7 and post-USA. Sorry, yeah. So, yeah, post-Series post series 5 and post-USA. So they're just... Slightly like, oh, well, they've ordered a sixth series, so I suppose we better be doing that. <laughs> yeah. it, it it seemed to me like Red Dwarf USA was very recent. Yeah. Like, they'd just come back because they talk about it as something that's happened, in yeah. like in, as in the pilot, but also they have some... <laughs> like, it's not impossible to them that it could take off. Mm-hmm. If Red Dwarf takes off in LA, Robert won't be able to do Series 6, so at this point it's still a possibility, which means it must be very soon after yeah. they, they recorded it. Yeah. I wonder how quick that decision was made after the pilot. Probably not that long. Or maybe they were just like clinging on to hope, like they hadn't heard anything, but there was still a chance that they could hear back. Yeah, and also because it's been published in a magazine, maybe they want to be a bit more, don't want to be down on their own projects. Yeah. Yeah, very true. It's, it's a very relaxed interview, actually. I should say that, like, the way it's put together and the way it's being edited, it, like, it flows so well. And, yeah. like, yeah. you just read it in no time. Um, you really get a sense for. Rob and Doug's personality and their conversational style and bouncing off each other. It's just a very good interview, I would say, in all. A dynamic that they would maintain for another couple of two months. Years, <laughs> yeah. <two and> a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, depending on how chummy they were during series six. Because it all kind of fell apart very shortly after series six. Mm. 
Well, they're talking here about doing the third Red Dwarf novel, and like we're contracted to do a third Red Dwarf novel. And like the possibility, oh, it might be this year, but probably not. <laughs> like, imagine being that blasé about. Yeah. Well, uh, if we can't do it this year, we'll just do it next year. Yeah. Yeah, because that's how Red Dwarf projects work. Yeah. Well, they used to. It used. <laughs> they to. did in, the, in this stage. This is right at the end of that's how Red Dwarf projects worked. It was one of the exactly how Red Dwarf projects yeah. worked at this stage. <laughs> one or two major things a year. Um, also, there's talk of a non-Red Dwarf book, a, a Grant Naylor non-Red Dwarf oh, book. Oh, yeah. Um, which I'm trying to think if we've ever really heard about or considered before, because we've heard about the, the UEU zone or whatever the fuck, but yeah. I don't think we'd particularly heard about... it. We, we'd all, all it, Everything had been about The Last Human and not you know anything that was non-Red Dwarf book-wise. Mm. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, we're contractually obliged to do one more Red Dwarf, but our next book will be a non-Red Dwarf book. Will it though? Turn, turns out that they over-deliver for the con- for the the contract. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they ordered one Rob Grant and Doug Naylor Red Dwarf book, <laughs> and they got one Rob Grant book and one Doug Naylor book. Yeah, it was a bit like um, it was a bit like Demons and Angels though. <laughs> <laughs> Only if the high ship in Demons and Angels also had a section Some... dedicated to genital mutilation. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole different podcast series. Yeah, there are several things in here uh, that are, whenever Rob and Doug talk about their future projects, there's this alternate universe that opens up where all these yeah. things happen. Because there's several things that just did not happen that they're talking about like as if it's... Well, they've been greenlit, like they could have happened if they'd had their shit together. Yeah, they were going to invent Inside Number Nine <laughs> and do like a comedy version of a of a Twilight Zone style anthology show. That was going to be them sort of producing it, but new writers writing. It's 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 an idea that could very much have worked in this TV environment, like where you had things like Play for Today and Armchair Theatre and whatnot, like going back. That were showcases for new talent. There was at the time that Red Dwarf started. There was various ones on the BBC that were dedicated slots to new writers and new actors, mm. new directors, etc. Couldn't really see it happening today. It would be a low budget Channel Four thing, if anything. Well, they tried to do something similar, didn't they? It was almost like it was like a little pilot season that I think Channel Four did, or maybe the BBC. One of which was over to Bill, I think. <laughs> like there, there, there has been like uh, yeah, o- almost showcase. open pilots, comedy showcases. Yeah. Like may- maybe not as tied together as Play for Today. Um, That's but... the thing. This is a tied together proper like this proper is thing. where yeah. this is where Coherent, new writers graduate. Yeah, yeah, and they talk about <clears throat> like writers that are new to TV, not necessarily brand new writers. They talk about a lot of writers that work in comics and like, well, why haven't they been snapped up by TV? All the best talent goes direct to Hollywood. Why isn't British TV doing anything about it? Which was true and yeah. prescient and yeah. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think British TV really does get the uh, good end of the the writers thing still to this day. Really, like mm. you know, a lot of the good British writers are in America, British actors as well. Yeah, and. Not like a majority or anything, no, but, but it's enough. it's also the case that people can, you know, the thick of it, like the writing team of that branched off to do Veep and became really, like Simon Blackwall and Jesse Armstrong and people like that are now really established yeah. in American TV. <clears throat> so I think Jesse Armstrong does uh, what we do in the shadows as well. 
Yeah, one mm. of them does. Yeah. yeah, I think it is Jesse Armstrong. And then presumably Avenue Five, they're all on that as well because that's a niche. Yeah. Bloody Succession, one of the biggest shows in the world. Mm. Oh, really? <laughs> Didn't know. It's Jesse Armstrong. Yeah. And then there was this me, 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 me thing. Yeah. Which was uh, interesting. Sounds interesting concept. It's a real. I don't know how the hell they could sustain it, but yeah, I like the idea. One episode. One episode of Red Dwarf. That would have. It would lasted. be. That would be. That would be one of the OU Dimension things. It would be. That's the entire. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Idea. But they're, they're talking about it like a sitcom. <laughs> Yeah. How far into production is it? Oh no, we've got to write the script. <laughs> yeah, and they mention, ironically, they mention a couple of times about how, like, oh yeah, that would never get past the third script. Like, as uh, when they're talking about going back, talking about yeah. the now well-known story of sort of cliche, but this was probably one of the first times that was put out mm. um, to people. But like, yeah, talking about, oh well, you know couldn't do Captain Invisible, couldn't really do Asso because they didn't have any, you know, too, either too difficult to make or you wouldn't have enough scripts. So we were stuck with this sci-fi thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This infinitely impossible sci-fi yeah. thing. Uh, we'll get a couple of series out of this at least. <laughs> like Paul wanted to do two True. or three yeah. at most. Because that was the landscape, wasn't it? Like the, the, Yeah. The, yeah. Especially, there was, a, there was a mentality of, that still exists to some extent with sort of auteur comedy figures like Paul Jackson because he did it with the young ones two series and that's it let's not do any more let's not overstay our welcome that was probably like based on 40 towers only yeah. doing 12 episodes then the office latterly Ricky yeah. Gervais definitely had a thing of like I only wanted to do two series and a special yeah because he's got loads of other shite ideas to do mm. I wonder whether Rob had that mentality in mind thinking yep yeah, that's you know six series is <clears> more than enough like maybe that's what maybe that's what I do get the impression that neither of them were picturing a, a sixth series. Yeah. yeah. And so when it got to that, Rob seemingly like we still don't know what went on exactly, but seemingly part of it was Rob thinking, yeah, well that's enough. I've mm. I've scratched that red dwarf itch. Yeah. Which he now has back, having not done it for twenty five years or whatever. Yeah. But you can you can see there are there are other ideas bubbling away in the surface that's always been stuff that they've wanted to do and not been able to do or that haven't been strong enough to like sustain their own thing. But like like the the whole idea of having it's like what Stephen and, and Reece Shearsmith did with um, with Inside Number Nine. It was like these ideas weren't enough to sustain a whole series. But there were enough to stay in a single episode, and it was like we can make them. We can make these single anthology ideas, single stories, yeah. which is a very red dwarf thing, anyway. Red dwarf is can be a bit of an anthology show, like you know, what's the big idea? What's the big idea this week? You know, <laughs> um, what's the what's the idea that Rob and Doug are going to throw away into thirty minutes that they could make into a film this week? <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, that's a good point actually because they do take a single idea and then extrapolate an entire episode out of it. Like, mm. what if the world was backwards? What if, you know, mm. what if, what if, like the the idea of everyone being like a different person every seven years? That's got like I can you know I can envisage a Red Dwarf episode based around that concept. But the thing is, that sort of it's a very strange idea, like the idea that it's like it's almost like every seven years your body completely it's like quantum. Yeah, basically. it's like there's a hard cut. <laughs> like it's yeah, like a spider overnight. Sort of, <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is, is like that's that's a, that's a, like the idea is based around that concept of every seven years your cells are different by then, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> at year seven, all of a sudden you wake up oh. and everything's brand new again. <laughs> it's like that doesn't work like that. It's a gradual thing, but yeah, it's it's like oh, I, it's, I like it's, the idea. it's Dave not in work today so no no he's taking a sick day he's shedding <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. oh god 
They'll both. Well, you know, the, the good thing is we'll have two of them uh, next week. Temporarily, until the other, until the, the original just disintegrates <laughs> and blows away in yep. the wind. You'll have a very new shiny Dave <laughs> and a really decrepit old yeah, shell one. of Dave. <laughs> It's like Zoidberg whenever he like takes off his carapace. Oh, oh I feel so free. <laughs> I have an issue with Doug Naylor's maths. Yeah. I think he I'm... says he meets all his other selves aged 14, 21, 28, 35, and 43. 43? <laughs> yeah. You fucking plump. Uh, another maths-based or numbers-based nitpick. Um, we, res- we-, we resisted actually doing a robot as a regular cast member for three series. We thought it had been done in every space thing. Right, A, you resisted for two series. And actually, <laughs> B, you resisted for one series. <laughs> so, think on. <clears throat> There's a bit where it's an opinion that annoys me, but you can't really be annoyed at Rob and Doug for having that opinion because it's their own show. Yeah. <laughs> but they re- repeat, or maybe originate, the cliche about the early sets being cheap and made of cardboard and wobbly and yeah. Kellogg's logos on it and everything. They are seriously shitting on them like way more than they deserve. Yeah. Which I can understand from their point of view because if you do anything creative and it's not 100% perfect, those are the bits that leap out to you and become bigger in your head. It's exactly. being a bit public about it though, I mean. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> like, Series 2 available to buy now on VHS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it, I think, I don't know, like, not directly from this interview, but this attitude of Rob and Doug's of that the sets were wonky and, and it looked crap is definitely pervaded received opinion about Red Dwarf. Yeah. Both with fans and non-fans. Craig often often does it as well, which is mm. sort of grating. But again, uh, you can, like, things being cheap and things being unrealistic are two different things. Like, you can have something yeah. cheap and yeah. realistic, like Series 3 did that, right? I think it's more that Doug and Rob were more resentful of the fact they didn't have any creative control over how it looked. Yeah, They were sort of at the behest of whoever was doing it, and whatever they did that wasn't their idea, they were going to hate it. Because yeah. it wasn't their... Because baby, they were gearing I mean? towards being the producers, that's what they, they wanted, wanted to, one, They wanted right? to have more of a say in, in how this thing ran, and I can understand, but it's like, but by just like saying, oh, it was, you know, it was shit, because it wasn't what I wanted, you know, that's, that's sort of doing it a disservice, really. I do get that impression from them from Doug in particular mm-hmm. uh, but maybe it's just because he's talked about this stuff more on all the DVD documentaries and stuff but yeah. like <laughs> there's so many Doug anecdotes in the DVDs that are someone else made a decision then I came in and made it perfect yeah, <laughs> like, yes. paraphrasing like someone someone did <laughs> you're a not thing. paraphrasing I decided... that much to be fair you're not paraphrasing <laughs> I decided that's basically it was the Terraform shit. fucking computer thing yes. that's what that was yeah. yeah. When he said that was just awful, like I don't know how bad it really was. Like, was it just that it just wasn't what Doug wanted? It might be partly that in order to get his way on set, like in when decisions are being made, he has to exaggerate his negative opinions on the stuff that he wants changing, yeah, and that maybe. like that sticks in his head. Yeah, it's like this is it's probably not awful. It's probably just slightly it's imperfect. Okay, but just it isn't yeah. what isn't quite what. The one thing I didn't realize is that every week they had to tear down the set and rebuild it every week for like series one and two. Like the idea of doing that is fucking mad. Well, you to couldn't me. Like, do hey, that. Is that with... genuinely more expensive than? Is that genuinely cheaper? Well, I guess than it fucking, was the you know. 
or other productions were using the space. Yeah, it's just mad that you have to. It's like, oh, we have to go put this set up again, like every because week question of sports weeks. filming in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, build their set. <clears throat> I just find it mad that that's that's how it used to work. Mm. I think, like, obviously, I know it still does that now, but like, surely a lot less now. There's a lot more studio spaces these days. But we have just, got another absolute classic Doug uh, line here about the budget. Apparently, the budget's getting less every year. Like, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not the case. All I remember a, a fan site called Ganymede and Titan doing an interview with Peter Tyler, and he said that their budget went up a tiny amount every year to kind of match inflation, but it was essentially the same every year, not less. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if you assume the SFX budget is representative of the overall one, which you would think so. Because that would probably be the first to be cut. Yeah, because it was, it'll be a, a percentage of the wider budget. Yeah, so there's 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 Doug being a bit a bit prissy about budgets again. Yeah, I think the the truth is that it stayed the same on several occasions between series to series, but things got more expensive because time. Because yeah. time, yeah, yeah, and because of Black Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, there, there seems to be this sort of thing about like professionals, like if you admit that you like something or that something went well or that you've got it comfortable like oh yeah, yeah our you, budget's yeah, lovely yeah, our budget was great yeah it's great it's like everyone <laughs> who just like who who like who like genuinely who yeah. fucking says that who yeah. is ever comfortable with their current status why are they not you know they like you you're an idiot if you don't want more than this do you yeah, know what i mean yeah. it's like sort of like yeah. unprofessional to say publicly that say it's like it's like councils councils won't say at the end of the year oh we've got a million left over and that back. <laughs> no, they dig up the roads in March in order to spend it, um, yeah. Yeah. which is all work that needs to be done anyway. But they'll never not spend it. Yeah. There was a program that I worked on for a long time. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I became more senior within that team as the time went on, and I discovered that there were lines in our budget that were literally never used and never intended to be used for things that we didn't have (laughs) because, and I quote, if we take them out, then we won't get that money next year. But we're not using that money. (laughs) Could I use that money to do something better (laughs) that is actually useful? No, because otherwise they'll say they'll just, they'll just cut the budget. So it's definitely a thing. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's almost like a buffer. It's like a, it's like mm. a, it's like it's just like a buffer, and like in extreme yeah. cases, we have this thing there, like a contingency. Presumably, that extra it's... budget was being used by all the other bits of the budget that needed yeah. more, right? Yeah, yeah. But frustrating when you're trying to hire people on competitive wages, and knowing that there's this huge wadge of cash that is earmarked for just being there. Yeah, it's very weird. But it's almost psychological <clears throat> as well. It's almost like it's a. Like it's there as a like to make you feel better. Like about an it. overdraft. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly like that. Except without some cunts charging you thirty p a day to use it. <laughs> I too am using my overdraft. <laughs> I too, I'm an adult. And I will in continue to use my overdraft <laughs> until my connection arrives. Until my Labour government arrives. <laughs> Any day now. Um, here's a curious one. The story about the Wales retreat, which I always like, I always like hearing this guy. It's about time those bastards retreat. (laughs) 
Um, so this is about uh, Doug getting his car stuck. Um, so yeah. Bob was saying, okay, you can't reverse. You're going to have to go farther down this cliff road, then do a U-turn and then come back up again. So I said, okay, we went further down the edge of this thing, got stuck on a rock and we were hanging off. In the morning, we went back. It was so dangerous. Rob Grant, it was like a Pepsi advert. Right, okay, this is going to be something where if you... Do we have to find this fucking Pepsi? Do we have to go yeah. back to 1992? 1991 or 1992 <laughs> yeah. Pepsi advert. It's it probably was... a Pepsi advert where there's a car dangling on a cliff or something. Right, 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 right. If such thing exists, link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my guess. Yeah. It's a topical reference yeah. that you would have got in 1992. We'll have a, we'll have a dig. We'll see if we can find it. Mm. And the thing is, now, I used to think, when I heard about uh, Norman Lovett not wanting to be in... Uh, series three, I used to be kind of angry at Norman, and then I kind of thought about yeah. the logistics of living in Edinburgh, getting married and mm. moving up to Edinburgh, the selfish prick, right? Going up to getting married and having a life and a, you know, yeah, <laughs> a wife and everything, <laughs> and then booking off to Edinburgh, and it's like, and then rehearsing in Acton the week, and then going to Manchester. It's like, mm. I can't imagine how awful that must be to go from Edinburgh yep. to London. And then up to Manchester, it's like that is yeah. like I wouldn't like no, I wouldn't fucking do that either. Why would I think he would? Spot the spot the difference in opinion and and tone here, because um, Doug seems less kind about Norman, and Rob is the one giving him all of the giving him you know like giving all the context of heart yeah. attack, family, you know, set, settling into into Edinburgh, and it was just not feasible for him. Rather yep. than when when Doug was on documentaries later on, just saying like, "Oh, he just he wanted to just turn just, up for the fucking filming." What a, yeah. what a prima donna! And actually, so I think the again the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think it was on the the Body Snatcher series one documentary, mm. uh, series two documentary. It might have been the quarantine commentaries that Rob Paul and Ed did. <laughs> Somewhere at some point, Paul Jackson has said that he wanted to do this change and only come for the recordings and not the rehearsals, but be paid the same. Right. And that was kind of the sticking point. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, okay, it was for the same money, and he was like, no. He wanted the same money for doing less work. That was it. Even though it's understandable. And like, it was ahead of his time, because now you can... You can live in a different city from the one you work in and it'd be no problem, but it's a bit different when <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> it's difficult when it's involving actual, you know, interaction between people. Because yeah, if they had clearly, Zoom back then, he could have done the rehearsal. Clearly benefited yeah, his whole thing could be done on Zoom from home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just whack it on the monitor. <laughs> Just screen grab it. <laughs> Norman being there for rehearsals made the show better. It's not like it's a you know, it's not like it's like I can't be bothered to attend this meeting. Can I just phone yeah. in? You know, it's nothing. It's not. There's no anal. anal it's not analogous. Analogous. It's not anal. Yes, anal juice. Guys. Analogous. Analogous. <laughs> it's Liam Gallagher's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Because like, if if he's out at rehearsal, then everyone's learning how to bounce off him. And react to his lines and get a flow yeah. going. Yeah, it's a, right. it's a timing thing. The, the whole thing about this is timing, and it's it, you need that. Yeah, and it, yeah. you need that when you're working, when you you know when you're interacting with other people, like we are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, um, sorry, guys. I've just had a text message from my stepdad. Um, he's just watched 
um, he's just watched an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, and he says it was vaguely funny in a homosexual kind of way. Hmm. <laughs> a bit, bit weird. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you're not reading the the uh, quote from this interview instead? <laughs> oh right, yeah, that as well. It's weird. You must have must have read this. Why is your so. stepdad texting you quotes from her magazine interview? <laughs> no, that's his opinion on RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> They're halfway there. Do you know that meme of the um, the the well-meaning um, what what is it like the the well-meaning redneck that is is espousing a progressive view um, with language that is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. I'm you know I'm all for the expletive uh, fair treatment of expletives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't care if they get on with each other. I don't give a shit about these fucking. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to do. But yeah, um, so like Doug saying, we were all also sort of taking the the piss out of pregnant women, which was which was not good. So we binned it, and they could have also said, yeah, it was getting a bit homophobic as well. But Rob instead said, yeah. it was vaguely funny in a homosexual kind of way. <laughs> There's multiple ways of interpreting that sentence. There is, yeah. <laughs> One of which was. We realised that we were taking the piss out of homosexuality and that that was bad and that's why we dropped it. It was a bit funny. It was a bit dodgy. Yeah. The other way of reason <laughs> was, it was funny, but it was gay, so we didn't <laughs> want to do it. <laughs> but like, yeah. I'm going to assume he meant it was dodgy towards homosexuals. Yeah. yeah. Is, is what yeah. he meant by it was vague. Based on what we know about Rob Grant. Yeah, yeah, he is not homophobic, man. Also, it was being said in 1992, and yeah, the language. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's sort of tones of that in um, in the books as well, with um, the Rimmer having a, a a moment of homosexual panic and this kind of stuff. Mm. Like though, these yeah. little sort of beats and stuff, they're they're still there. They, they're, yeah. they're you know. They're... Well, it's easy to forget how ingrained into the culture uh, homophobia was. Like yeah, nine nine two, in... we were robbing kids, and we would have all been calling um, our friends, our enemies on the playground, gay, hundred percent. Yeah, and especially if they were kissing girls. Ugh. Oh fuck's sake! <laughs> it's the gayest thing ever. Why? Why would you? <laughs> and that attitude pervaded as far as at least nineteen ninety seven and yeah. duck soup, where it's like I don't think duck soup is offensive or homophobic, but it's Lister's panic at. You know, a version yeah. of him being gay is clearly an outdated homophobic attitude. Yeah, the yeah. whole sort of like the the damage think, to his ego yeah. by possibly being, yeah. you know, like being threatening his manliness by, you know, being portrayed as gay. It's like well, it shouldn't fucking matter. Yeah, but then again, like that. I mean, that was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Mm. And again, I would say in '97, maybe the majority of heterosexual males listening to this and on this panel would have had similar attitudes. But just because yeah. it was everywhere, that is, that is, you know, that was the, the, you know, it was accepted at the, the, the time. direction that society pointed us in. Let's say, yeah. until you know, started to think for ourselves. Well, when you had newspaper headlines about two gay characters in EastEnders, yeah, being EastBenders, yeah, the lesbian and, case yeah. on, um, and Brookside, on Brookside, yeah, which was, was like such a controversial, like that was like, oh my god, yeah. I can't believe they're showing that on television. Even George Michael being outed yeah. slash coming out was oh, yeah. like 
huge news. Michael Barrymore being like <laughs> of all the controversies <laughs> involving Michael Barrymore, obviously his career was ended <laughs> pretty much by one of them. But even before the bad thing happened, just him being gay damaged his career. Yeah. Or him coming out damaged his career. Oh yeah, well he was a married man, you know, like oh the th- you know how could yeah. he do that to his wife? All this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Justin Fashionu, first openly gay footballer, ended up killing himself. Anyway, uh, this is. being rejected by his brother. A wooga. This is getting a bit serious. Yeah, so. Hey, basically, it's not. It's, it's not night too. So <laughs> Rob's saying it's a bit funny in a kind of homosexual kind of way. I don't know. Like, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Another word that we would have definitely said in the playground at this time. time oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, is mentioned when Doug Naylor is discussing <laughs> <laughs> that, Robert Llewellyn's funny walk as Crichton. The reason we're all laughing is because we all had separate moments where we like messaged the group chat where it was obvious what we'd we'd just read. And it's like it's the shock of it, isn't it? It's the yeah, shock of yeah. seeing that just written down and like there's no reaction. <laughs> there's no fucking reaction. No, it's just <laughs> from a voice of which you don't expect it from as well. <laughs> yes. From a man of we should we of should, physical we... challenges, let's say, mm-hmm. <laughs> using the S word. It's a physical challenge. You've got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> What's weird about this is that we've had this story from Robert's point of view. In the Man in the Rubber Mask, he describes yes. he does a very funny walk. Everyone was, you know, laughing at it. But then it, he was mortified to realise when Doug stood up and started walking that Doug has a very affected manner of walking that he had inadvertently. And coincidentally, been been aping, and he, as a wet middle class liberal, which is his way of putting it, was mortified that he'd done this in a way that might be offensive to yeah. Doug. However, and when Doug himself tells that story, Doug, the man with a disability who could have been interpreted as being the one being mocked, just uses the most ableist term possible yeah. in British culture and British society. That is the worst word for for ableism although but like we... does he have that privilege <laughs> like... maybe yeah but also 92 was it called scope by then no it was called the spastic society well, there you go. it was a word that was not that was still an official term yeah. for a specific group which is not this group it's people with cerebral palsy yeah. were referred to by this term right um but this is the issue is that it was used in school playgrounds up and down the country as a general term for anyone with a disability in a very mocking and cruel way. Yeah, it was still being used officially, but the term was totally fucked by this point, basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, yeah, <laughs> giving Ian the uh, the cue to say the official name of an organisation has allowed us to indicate to you which word <laughs> yeah. we're talking about without using it in the context wrong context so there you go yeah i mean uh, yeah it's a it's it's difficult whenever you're discussing <laughs> slurs yeah but yeah it's yeah yeah you all know what we meant even before we'd said that you could have if you're british and yeah. over 30 you'd know what word we were talking about yeah. it's um <clears throat> so it's funny yeah again it's it's like it's half like <sighs> yeah you can imagine the scene can't you all of them in a room and they're just absolutely pissing themselves laughing at this hilarious man doing walks and then almost like shocking each other like he's just done an impression of the walk of one of the showrunners you know and then and then you know like doug's 
maybe let that word out or someone else did and he's repeated it here you know but that's the thing it's so casual yeah, it's so like casual. it's 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 just so matter of fact <laughs> it's like the walk was like that of a yeah slur oh right yeah i know what you mean yeah yeah those those guys yeah yeah uh, yeah, and, and I yeah, d- no, yeah, no, but, no qualms about printing that. Yeah, there's no, no like the text about it. Yeah, sorry. I mean, political correctness existed in '92, so you know. I'm, I'm, yeah, but it hadn't yet gone mad. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was pretty chilled. You know, wasn't really <laughs> making much of a fuss. But Red Dwarf magazine could have maybe picked up on it and said, said in context or that? something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just used a different. Yeah. Anyway, going back to the the anecdote about the cottage in Wales. The cottage in Wales was discussed at DJ in 2018, the 30th anniversary one, where Rob was there for the first time in years, and he mm. sort of told the story of the, of the cottage in Wales. And I vaguely remembered this story from originally reading the magazines, but like, one thing I'm not clear about, when they decided, for some insane reason, to quote Doug Naylor, to chase a rabbit off the road. It's described <laughs> that they are... It's implied yeah. that they've just come back from the pub. Yeah. Where they drink driving, yeah. chased a rabbit, and nearly fucking killed themselves driving off a cliff. I mean, there's no other explanation. If they literally chased a rabbit off the road, they were pissed. It pissed or... Evil. Well, what did he? What did he? What did Rob? Later, say Rob, cha- Rob channeled all this into um, just his writing in, <laughs> in backwards and in general. But no, I don't think the rabbit and the running off the road incident was discussed at Dimension Jump. Just we went to Doug's dad's cottage in a remote cottage in Wales and we wrote the pilot script. Yeah. But yeah, the detail that they almost finished doing the pilot scripts and would have done were it not for the fact that they drunkenly tried to kill a rabbit. <laughs> that's it's a, a, a worrying addendum to the folklore all I can think is I would fucking love something like that like, can you imagine like you know us Killer three rabbit. we've got something to you know something G&T based to finish some big project and we all just fuck off to like a Welsh cottage and then get pissed every night in the pub <laughs> sounds amazing and then drive and then and then drunk go kill rabbits yeah. on a cliff chase a rabbit so I hadn't considered that. So, do, so, so Rob didn't mention the rabbit thing in his story in 2018. No, no. <laughs> but in 1992, was it Rob talking about that? Or was it Doug talking about that at DJ? Because they were both there. Oh, they? same thing. Oh, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of which, the little box outs in this telling the story of Grunnell, like the little bio, clearly written by Rob and Doug. Yeah, right. Because this is this is stuff that. Um, like whole bits of this are from the book bios, I think. Yeah, and, and like just the casual matter of fact way, <laughs> they came on and rescued Spitting Image, and it went on to become legendary. <laughs> like that's definitely Robin. Yeah, Duncan. yeah. They're telling the story that none of the Spitting Image history books will, <laughs> probably because it's exaggerated. I don't know. I don't know enough about Spitting Image to be honest. Uh. Good old Charles Armitage, rest in peace, is mentioned right at the end. And I thought this was, this was quite funny. Um, Red Dwarf magazine, is there any truth to the rumour about the Red Dwarf cartoon? And Rob says, oh, that. 
Charles has mentioned it a few times, but he also mentions interactive video games and a red dwarf car, so it could be real and it could be not. <laughs> I love this characterization of Charles that actually seems very like recognizable to us based on what like interviews we've seen. Like always looking for ways. He, he had the original Butsky. <laughs> yeah, he had his was the commercial Butsky. The commercial Butsky, yeah. But can you imagine interactive video games? What a tit! An interactive video. A digital watch. Games aren't going to do anything. I mean, it's not like at this point. Especially not interactive ones. 1992, games were fucking massive. At least the interactive ones are better than the non-interactive games, which are videos. Yes, (laughs) which is what they've been making for the last few years. And a Red Dwarf car as well. (laughs) Like, fuck off with your Red Dwarf car. You're never going to have a Red Dwarf car in any sort of future special. Yeah, anyway, it just amuses me. He's such a unique um, character, is Charles. Every time I hear a story about him, it makes me smile. Yeah, there's so little, sadly, I guess, yeah. there's so little of him on record. Yeah. He's like, such he, a was in, he was interviewed in We're Smegged, and Doug literally recorded extra footage to contradict everything he fucking said. Yeah. So <laughs> I think he did a Mr. Flibble interview with Ellard on Toss. If that's up at the time of writing, at the time of recording, but yeah, I'd like I I wish there was more Charles Armitage on record giving his side of these stories because yeah. he's all he's like this huge figure in the background of Red Dwarf, but we only ever really hear about him from other people. Television royalty, you know. I'm gonna say it wasn't like, even just Red mm. Dwarf, was it? It was kind of there was loads of other things that he had fingers yeah. in, you know. So Noel Gay's grandson, <clears throat> son. Yeah, yeah, one of them. It's grandson, I grandson. think. Yeah, he funded train spotting. I didn't know that. Well, you should have read his obituary on GNT. <laughs> oh well, I would have known it when I read it. Read that, but then I've since forgotten. Yeah, that was years ago. That was fucking years <laughs> I'm ago. Um, one last detail from this, which I don't think has come up very often, that Hattie Hayridge got the part of Holly kind of by chance, bumping into Doug. Yeah, she still had to fucking audition though. <laughs> yeah, based on her her telling of it. Yeah, Doug was in Leicester Square talking to De Winters, who designed the logo, and they'd just found out that Norman had quit or, you know, wasn't being hired back, and he bumped into Hattie in the street, and it gave him a bit of a go, oh, yeah, Hattie. Oh, hi, she's the like, female I'd like Norman. to think, yeah, I'd like to think that they would have come up with that idea of yeah. casting the person that you've literally just cast to be another version of Holly. <laughs> it would have occurred to them were it not for that fatal, fateful meeting. But yeah, well, you never know. Odd. Yeah. They might have been thinking, you know what writers are like, they might have been thinking of the most most difficult and self-flagellating uh, solution they could possibly <laughs> yeah. could, which would be an entirely new character, you know, um, I don't know. You know you know what, yeah. Well, they were looking for the cheapest option. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of say, like, we, f- we felt it was just too late to massively reinvent Holly, so we had to just... It seems like the whole thing was just a, well, we've got no choice, our hands are tied, we're going to have to give Hattie Hayridge the job. And I don't. I think still to this day, Hattie is massively underappreciated in oh, yeah. her role of, as Holly. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, there needs to be more consideration as to who is the better Holly. Mm. Because there's a very I strong think. argument that it's Hattie. It's just that Norman generally had the better material. And had more time to do it as well. Uh, ultimately, anyway. So, holograms. Yeah. Yes, holograms. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this just seems to be like a massive, like, 
mutual wank off. <laughs> it's like let's just let's mutual just... wank off. I loved his sunflowers <laughs> painting. <laughs> but it's just it's just let's print all the letters that say that are <laughs> shitty little inserts. Well, okay, unfair. <laughs> but let's just print all the letters that say our extra bits, which no one really cares about, are amazing. Yeah, we did kind of think it was weird that they published the ones slagging them off in the first yeah. place. So yeah. I guess this is kind of a yeah, right to reply way. thing. But yeah, people must have wrote in to defend them just to make them feel better. <laughs> and they're just like, right, you fucker. Yeah. I think, we'll I, show yeah, you. It's, it's almost like that would have been like literally two posts on a forum. Like <laughs> yeah. back yeah. to back. And that's it. But these are like, you know, four months apart. Well, in terms of <laughs> yeah. about 12 years apart. But yeah. Like, but the idea of having these kind of rebuttals and stuff is like done through sort of like the newspapers used to have these kind of running threads of like talking, like trying to find someone. And then they have like, Mm. there's a conversation going on over like months of these two people trying to find each other. And it's just like, it's it's compelling because it's, it's, it's sounds sounds like Ian, the Smegmeister and Chris Carter in the (laughs) nineties. But it's interesting because they've got things like the, like, Oh, Oh, if anyone hasn't actually managed to read the massively quick scroll text at series three, we've written it down. Oh yeah. That's yeah. That's very cool. That's why this kind of stuff needs to exist is because it's a, it's a weird way to get that information out without it being, yeah, the magazine flexing. It's a huge sign it's, of the times, obviously. Yeah, it's the fans doing what fans do, which is being incredibly nerdy. And... They had to get hold of special video <laughs> playback equipment in order to freeze frame it. They couldn't just do it well, yeah. on their VHSs at the time. You know what we were saying about Red Dwarf USA and that, like, the thrill of the chase of it, of, like, having something mm. like this that's rare and you're trying to find the best quality version. Like, can you imagine how they felt, like, getting hold of that VHS Realizing that they could put like it had six heads on it, so you could like fucking pause it <laughs> and actually read it, and just the 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 joy that they would have got from that. It's like it's unparalleled. Like that. This is my old man moment. Is that you? You don't get <laughs> shit like that anymore. You don't get <laughs> pausing the info blast from Fist of Fun at the end of the episode anymore. <laughs> and I think that's something worth being nostalgic about. <laughs> Couple more things to note on this letters page. One is that there's someone who thinks he's hilarious called Simon Scott, who does a big joke of having his nickname being the same as his first name. So it's Simon Simon Scott. What a dick. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then there's there's someone who writes in with a nitpick about whether, you know, a Lister's dad died when he was six, but then we later find out he was found abandoned as a baby. Oh, yeah. And they head this letter with Smeg had alert. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that thing that keeps creeping in of slightly sneering. Well, they're yeah. right to, because this person fails to realise that the role of fatherhood um, is not necessarily biological. That is true. So, fuck off, Toby Visram from Ilford. You are ill. <laughs> also, they've spelled Ilford wrong. I don't know whether that's oh, yeah. them or the magazine <laughs> has spelled Ilford wrong. Yeah. It's Threeford. That's what it's. It's actually. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lad called Andrew Bins. <laughs> Quite like that as a, as a name. Also, the first letter came from Crichton's number one fan in Leeds. Yeah. So know. now this is the oh, moment. Yeah, was that Danny. you? This is how. <laughs> this is you now reveal your thirty-year secret. <laughs> Being as you are, the only person from Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a particularly inspiring letters page, really, because I, I like to have a bit of controversy, you know, a little bit of uh, yeah. scrogginess, you know. 
<clears throat> it's all very agreeable. Yeah. And therefore, <laughs> at all. However, we do have our own letters. Speaking of pricks who think they're funny. What people have sent in to us on the internet. <laughs> That's a brilliant <laughs> sentence. <laughs> It's accurate. <laughs> it just took a while. Let's see. It was so uh, fucking long ago. I oh, know it wasn't. It was only a couple of weeks. Yeah, we recorded the last one ages ago, but these comments only came in a couple of weeks ago. Including from Sai, who says, I've always loved the artwork of the All Things Crichton Beautiful feature, uh, which is from the previous uh, magazine. When I started drawing my own numerous dwarfy doodles through the 90s and beyond, that first drawing is the one I used and have essentially memorised for the past 30 years as the reference for getting the lines on Crichton's face right. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it is good out on that. I like, I, I like little flashes of that. Like, like all that pop art stuff that everyone hated apart from me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still do. I still fucking hate it. Yeah, you will. There's a lot of um, discussion about... Uh, the cover of the last one, which was the one that was, you know, the f- portraits of the crew members. Yeah. Glem um, oh, yeah. says, has Lister ever looked more like Gary Wilmot than on this issue's <laughs> cover? <laughs> and there was a bigger whole discussion about the the Crichton and why it was so unsettling. So melty. International debris suggests Crichton's eyes look too human. Maybe it's the eyelids adding an extra layer of expression that isn't normally there. I don't know. He just looks like he's having a really bad day. <laughs> I'm looking at this close up now where when Rumble says, Sir, can we take a break for a while? My entire head has melted. Yes. <laughs> uh, we do recommend, as always, reading the full comments threads over at TV because there's too many and too niche of <laughs> discussions to get into here. International Debris always writes absolutely shitloads of in depth and really good commentary on the magazine but we never read it because it would take ages and we, we are the people that give you tedious overlong commentary on this magazine thank it's you very much but we, but we appreciate it all the same and also you yeah. do want to visit this comments section because you'll get a bit of a heads up about who's winning the Inquisitor competition in the next issue <laughs> yeah. speaking of which Dave comments is it me or does the holodeck thing with WG Grace et al uh, kind of prefigure the way the AR machine was used in 6 and especially 7 maybe I'm drawing a connection that isn't there Yeah. or maybe Doug is again ripping off this magazine <laughs> Lister, Lister uses it to have sex with 17 year old ball girls and Rimmer uses it to have sex with WG Grace <laughs> hundred year old it's, it's, ball men it's, it's quite amusing in a homosexual sort of way <laughs> Dave also says, I really like the Craig interview, partly as a time capsule and partly because it felt like the real Craig came through rather than boilerplate answers. The rest of the mag is okay, but neither here nor there. I'm greatly enjoying the quizzes in the dwarf cast, though. I'm not. Capsy was greatly relieved that there isn't a quiz in this edition. (laughs) I like Craig when he's going on a rant about his character because he's always spot on. Warbadog says... The official companion book that came out just a few months after this issue had colour parallel universe photos. Uh, so that might tell us something about the pecking order of print or the relative popularity of Howarth and Lyons at GMP. <laughs> well, that's weird. I thought it was a general thing. It's just barely anything was taken for two and even the VHSs struggled. Yeah, they did. The companion. Mm. Was that yeah. the Bruce Dessau one then? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. So uh, I wonder if it's a if you have to actually license Lord we have to license a black and white photo is cheaper than licensing a colour mm. photo. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. A bit like shutter stock, yeah, you know, if you get a six forty by four eighty one, it's a bit cheaper. 
Yeah. <laughs> Warbadog also says, I like all the fairly obscure details in the Ace Rimmer Parallel Universe strip, but requiring knowledge of the backwards opening crawl is asking a bit much of readers, especially before the internet or program guides. Well, funny you should mention that, because this, <laughs> the one that we're reading now, <laughs> resolves that for you. <laughs> Clem says, in the quiz, I said Reggie Dixon instead of Wilson, then consulted Wikipedia and, and the Smega Drive. And it turns out Reginald Dixon was a real-life theatre organist, so presumably the inspiration for Wilson. And in fact, it's Reggie Dixon's tango treats that Rimmer threatens the others with in quarantine. So it would appear Robin Dog slipped up there and forgot to change the name. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's why you got it wrong, because Reggie Dixon is someone in Red Dwarf, but not that one specifically. Just a different, yeah. different surname. Uh, slightly different that means that the quiz is now null and void and we need to do it again. <laughs> All the quizzes are null and void, and the results have to be reversed. <laughs> in, or, in order to um, bring justice back into this world pull the fucking cup out of my cold dead hands my friend <laughs> final letter is from Flappo Jacko uh, funny how you joked about the likelihood of Toss still being down at release time only for Toss to be put back up quicker than it took you for the podcast to be edited and published <laughs> <laughs> that'll teach you for being cheeky I mean it would have been amazing if it had still been down by the time we put it up yeah Maybe that was a, actually a master fate-tempting manoeuvre that paid off, in which case, bravo. Well, now we should make a joke about half of the links being broken, and then by the time we release this one... Flapjack also points out, it also feels eerily timed that the podcast was recorded on the Platinum Jubilee weekend, and then the Queen died a day after it was released. <laughs> I choose to believe that she was only clinging on to life so she could listen to the next magazine rap competition. <laughs> then when she got to listen, thought... Wait, the caption competition results won't be until next time. Well, fuck this. I'm not waiting that long. I'm done. <laughs> That's very plausible. I'll pick up a, another comment from Flapper Jacko, actually. In the Series 2 episode guide, the plot summary for Crichton says Chicken McNugget remastered confirmed. Just a, a little <laughs> reference to one of the uh, kind of the seminal comments threads of modern GM. Yep. Oh, well, actually, Observation Dome. <clears throat> Late Observation say. Dome, yeah. Late Observation Dome, early G&T. For more details about the history of GNT, why not check out our 20th anniversary celebrations? Link in the show notes. Yeah. Look at that cross promotional 360 degree content. Meanwhile, in the magazine, there's a preview of the next issue, which is uh, in the middle of the magazine. Yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> I thought my file was buggered. It's the exact middle of the magazine. There's staples and everything. Yeah. And Holly, <laughs> like, Ho- Hollygrams is much earlier than it normally is yeah. the episode guide and yeah it's so strange but yeah they're still f- trying to hit upon a formula i guess fucking about the content varies from week to week and the type of stuff that they're doing like previously we've had like we started the red any good books lately feature last time mm. and that's not in this one no. Um, the 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 length of, and the distribution between original comic strips and adaptation comic strips changes week to week, month to month, rather. Mm. So it's all up in the air. But putting the next issue preview in the middle of the magazine is silly. Unless you are making the admission that you, some people only read half the magazine, so put all your best stuff up top. Mm. Maybe. Then again, though, the Future Echoes comic is really good, so it should be. Yeah. Anyway. So we'll come back to the next issue. Yeah. Don't thing. fuck up our format, you yeah. idiots. We'll come back to that at the end of the podcast. You've got to wait for our red-hot opinions on this half page. 
Because Overleaf, yeah. speaking of putting your worst features <laughs> in the second <laughs> half of the magazine, the name game. So, you know, there's this thing in fandom, right? And it, I'm putting words to it now, but it is a bit of an unspoken thing. We don't make the joke in fandom. <laughs> None of us do. We don't make the, the Vimmer joke ever. We don't acknowledge it exists. It hangs there, but we never, ever, ever, ever make it. Have you noticed that? Yeah. yeah. This article doesn't have such qualms. <laughs> I, I don't know why it is. I, I feel like this, a strong statement had been made at some point, maybe from Andrew or on the side, just some sort of suggestion. You're just like, no, no, you never go there. It's too obvious. And it would. Yeah. And that's the thing is, it's like, if you're going to lower yourself that much to do it, then it's like you've got problems. <laughs> Because it is one of those things where people who are not fans of Red Dwarf like to point that out. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, but I just find it interesting as like a as a group psychology thing that mm. it's almost like if we if we acknowledge it too much, we're going to wreck the character. So you just can't. I think part of it is the act of rimming is more widely known today than it was in 1988. That's true. And so I don't think it would have occurred. It, def- it almost definitely didn't occur to Rob and Doug when they were no, choosing the name a for the character. It was a real person. Yeah, because it was named after a person that they knew. Yeah. I remember some anecdote about when it came to doing Ace Rimmer <laughs> that... <laughs> The, the fact that you've got an adjective before made, <laughs> made it all of a sudden yeah. seem obvious. Maybe to that's them. what it is. There was an interview, maybe, maybe Rob or Doug saying, you know, that someone did point that out, but like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's part of me that thinks if you're going to have a feature about the sort of etymology of the characters' names, especially a fictional point of view one, what would be far more interesting is, <laughs> is to, to actually examine Rob and Doug's thoughts about do a factual one etc yeah yeah Yeah. but in a fictional one i kind of like that they didn't ignore the (laughs) the analingus elephant in the room (laughs) they could have been less direct about it maybe yeah or i don't it's it refers to it as a deviant sexual practice Uh which is a bit kink shaming slash probably homophobic because it was associated with being a specifically gay thing i do like the phonetic versions of the names they wouldn't have even had Wikipedia to check for that. No, yeah. Someone's done their homework. What do we make of the joke? Cat <laughs> saying Crichton reminds me of me because when I yeah, when I'm marking myself on a scale of one to ten, I cry ten. Do you know what? <laughs> that joke could very easily be on Clue. <laughs> yeah. Or the bugle. Or the bugle. Yeah. <laughs> it could yeah. be an Andy Zaltzman. Yeah, I, I I'll I'll allow that one. I think it's I think it's some good effort has gone into that. Which is, you know, high praise for one of these little kind of throwaway bits. This is a Steve Noble as opposed to a Howarth and Lions. So it's Steve Noble who Who's pre- what's his previous? brings up the rimming. It's also not without its um, xenophobia as well. Yeah, I was going to pick that up in a minute. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like as, as stereotypes go. Like, should we just do it? Like, yeah. like where, where, I, I am not aware of the, the stereotype of the fat Spanish man or a or woman who or who woman. eat too much black forest trifle. Considering the black forest <laughs> trifle is from northern Germany. Oh, is it because El Gato? Oh fucking hell! Yes, it is. I, that didn't occur to me when I read it. It's only right this second when because I was about to say no one calls it black forest trifle. They call black it black forest, forest gato. gato. And then you got it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
the ghetto in the chateau. I should point out, There's actually, much... that the Black Forest is in the south of Germany. I uh, I got me all oh, cardinal directions mixed up there. That's what is sin. it for? What is what, what is what is Germany? What is <laughs> what is birds? <laughs> but yeah, that's um. I guess it's you know it's in character with Vimmer. Like he's constantly making cracks about the Belgians and uh, he's a Brexiter. Norwegians. He's a Brexiter. Very colonialist. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's just the the specificity of specificity of Black Forest trifle in it's as if that's a standard thing that everyone yeah. will go. Oh yeah, they bloody love their Black Forest trifle, don't those, they? Those Spaniards that live hundreds of miles <laughs> away from its origin point. Yeah. But yeah, you're and right. Like it's because of the gatto, and the most famous gatto is Black Forest gatto. So very low effort. Like you've, you, Black Forest is definitely in the ghetto chair. Yeah, they've they've fucked off the all goodwill they had for my cry ten. Yeah, <laughs> like two lines later. I just yeah, it's the fact it's an audio file is obviously that's where it's come from. Is it's because it's set out rather than yeah. yeah, which I didn't notice until yeah, I didn't notice till just now anyway. So that's a common thing in this magazine. I'm sure we've already had it before, where it's like it's easier for people when they're writing prose to just do it as a script. Yeah. yeah. And so they say it's an audio tape, or it's Holly's dictating this such yeah. and such, and yeah, yeah. or Vimmer's dictating to Holly rather. Vimmer, to his credit, did try to censor the Vimmer joke, but the damage had already been done. Yeah, and I didn't know what abdabs were. I had to look that up. Screaming Scream. abdabs is just like just general anxiety or irritation, just like just you know. Yeah, I was introduced to that phrase by Joe because it's a it's a northwest thing. Screaming abdabs. <laughs> uh... Oh, uh, right, okay. I thought it meant, like, the trots, the runs. No, no, which would make rimming a little bit unpleasant. <laughs> well, that makes more sense. He's stormed off in a huff yeah, rather yeah. than storm off shitting himself. Yes. <laughs> like a herd of diuretic camels. <laughs> oh, i tell you what's fucking awful. The puns about the hollies. Oh, yeah. Where, for a start, they're awful, the jokes. But also... Rimmer, Lister mentions the Hollies mm-hmm. because they're his dad's favourite band. Yeah. And then he's trying to remember, oh, what songs did they sing? Rimmer, who implies that he never heard of them because he says more than one Holly, God forbid, then makes puns based on the names of the Hollies songs. <laughs> yeah. Which are rubbish puns as well. It's just a bit confused. A bit like the fonts, actually. Oh, is that? Oh, no, that's deliberate. Yeah, well, at least they've gone away from the handwritten cat font, which was oh. just excruciating. Yeah, if you're going to differentiate them by font, just make them normal fonts, but variations. Yeah, yeah this them. this yeah. worked quite well. Yeah, better at least. I didn't mind the the running cat joke of everything being about him. I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> yeah, but it's got a punchline and it's got a through structure and it. Yep. Holds together quite well. Like stud poker, that reminds me of me. Like, yep. okay, yeah, fair That's enough. Fresh <laughs> bosh. The end of this little skit reminds me of the end of the Blackadder episode beer. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? <laughs> oh, God. If only there was a smoker drive for Blackadder. Mm. There is the great big thingy, which will be coming soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next. Next. Yeah. Hey, do you want 
two pages that has literally nothing to talk about. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's like this is this is what Halifax Lions are good at. Like this is what they do. Yeah, dry facts. They really, really good, uh, succinct, um, mm. breaking down of a plot into like just it's you know it's bare bones, but not enough to not enough to 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 spoil it. Not enough to you know sort of like warrant or like oh it's it's going to take anything away from the actual experience. It's just it's good. Yeah, and they just—I yeah. I think they do a very good job at doing this. It's what they. This is definitely their forte. Anything that keeps their personality away from the writing is absolutely their strength. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, it's a bit they, harsh, they, but you know, these what I episode mean. guides essentially got turned into a whole book. Yep. You know, this is this is it now. This is the episode guides until series six start. Yep. Interestingly, done. So there's going to have to be a new feature next week. Mm. They even got the quarantine <laughs> quote wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, they are very good at this, except the the most iconic line in the whole of quarantine. Yes. <laughs> was fucked. Mr. Flibble is very angry. Mistress Flibble is very concerned, you Your know. Your tone is antagonistic <laughs> and you're making me very angry. There was a knockoff. I'll see if I can find it somewhere deep buried in my WhatsApp messages. But there was a knockoff T-shirt being flogged to me in a Facebook ad once that had a picture of Mr. Flibble with the quote, Mr. Flibble is very angry. Oh, really? I wonder if this was their source. I just saw one T-shirt thought, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, no video. They would have had to make off airs, which isn't a guarantee in 92. Yeah. Uh, it's expensive I, in 92. My first experience of Red Dwarf was an off air of Series 5. Original broadcast or the repeat broadcast? Original broadcast. I'm pretty sure I watched it on the original broadcast. I just have no memory, but I must have done. Because I watched four on original broadcast. And that but yeah, this is, of course, the most recent. <laughs> it's it's weird to, th- to put yourself in the position where this is a mm. recap of something that you've only just experienced for the first time. Yeah, and like, like hurry up. Uh, it, yeah, get another series made so we can do a guide to series six. <laughs> and then one would be like, oh, series six, imagine that. And we're like, well, <laughs> maybe the second or third best series they did. <laughs> All the previous, uh, or at least some of the previous episode guides would have been people learning about those episodes for the first time, especially series one and two, Mm. like not repeated, not released on video at that stage. Whereas you'd assume anyone in August 1992 who would buy a Red Dwarf magazine watched the series that just finished a couple of months earlier. So, yeah, it's there for the record, because obviously you're going to do the series five episode guide when you've done the other four. But yeah, different, different aim of the others, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, it's stuff like this that it that really does start to feel interesting where you can transport yourself back to this mindset of the time. Yeah. And just like, I, I keep what I keep imagining, especially with the Rob and Doug interview, is thinking, if I could just reach in and like and tell them, what, like all these idiots <laughs> don't know about Back to Earth and fucking Series 10, 11. Like, it's just, it's, it's very odd. Like, it's a bit like reading the uh, news groups at the time. Yeah. I am glad that this run of features has come to an end because it's two pages where there's not really that much for us to say and I don't even read it properly, to be honest. Yeah. I just look at the quotes and the facts to see if there's anything that's obviously wrong and then I move on. The only episode synopsis I read is the Gun Reading Titan Complete Guide to Everything written by Ian Symes. And even then, only the in-brief bits. <laughs> yes, God, yeah. <laughs> this picture of Craig Charles and Timothy Spall is lovely. Yeah, because it's not Andy and... Sebastian Doyle. Yeah. It's it's just Craig and 
Timothy Spall. Yeah. Yay. And do you, do you know what? I don't think I've necessarily seen that picture before. I don't think I have either. Yeah. It might have been on the DVD gallery for five. Yeah. Most most of the certainly. available ones were, but like, yeah. It's a nice picture. Yeah. I uh, used to yeah. see Timothy Spall and his wife walk past my place of work when I worked in Farrington quite a lot. And <laughs> they both always looked a bit sloshed. <laughs> So maybe it was when, you know, their traditional kind of uh, liquid lunch or something. I don't know. But there you go. And their son is in the Cornetto films. Yep. Anyway, next is the Future Echoes comic strip, part three, back up to its regulation length after the short one in the last issue. Yeah. In fact, there is, we didn't mention it, there is a, in the contents at the front, under Future Echoes, it says, we could tell you a funny story about this instalment of Future Echoes, but it would embarrass the artist, so we won't. I'm intrigued. Mm, yeah. And it's something that we will never, ever find out what the fuck he's alluding yeah, yeah. to there. That's a bit of a dick move, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's implying that the artist fucked something up. Yeah. And maybe that's why last issue was shorter and this one's... You know, well, the, the artist is yeah. very good. And also, like, count the background details in this. Oh. Number one, oh, yeah. you've got an inflatable Ingrid slash Rachel in the uh, window of love <laughs> toys or heart <laughs> toys. So oh, that, yeah. there's one. Rachel love including repair kit. Mm-hmm. Very good. good very nice. And also, yeah, why not have this scene in a fucking subway station? Fucking brilliant. I love it. I love this. Red, Red Dwarf, Dwarf Northern Line. Yes. Yeah. As mentioned in Infinity, but not in the series. And yeah. It's great. It's really, yeah. And like the whole, yeah. everything that, you know, this this tube station has shops on the platforms, which was, according to my knowledge, which is gleaned from watching Jeff Marshall in uh, <laughs> the other bloke, Jago something or other, on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Was a much more common thing to have shops on platforms at that time. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Like the I can't fault the ambition and the scale of this particular adaptation. Yeah. Where whereas we did with the end, we found many faults with it. Even though they were trying to do the same yeah, thing, but this particular style and the amount of background details that are put in the thought that's been given into moving scenes around slightly so that they seem on a more epic scale. Mm. Really using the fact that they don't have to build sets, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. taking a TV script and doing a proper adaptation of it to a new medium rather than just copying and pasting, which is what the end felt like at times. It sort of rains on the idea that you could all be on this ship and you could basically not see each other for months. Yes. Because mm. you're just complete opposite ends of the system. Do you know what I mean? It's like you you could just be... Like fucking miles away and living well, in your own little section of the ship, where it's like you could not see someone for <laughs> perhaps years. Well, to give credit to the last feature that we kind of shit on, the the name game is Holly trying to get everyone together in the same room to stop them going mad, yeah. precisely because they're probably off on their own corners of the ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is actually a nice idea. It's like morale boost. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I'm going back to can of worms again. I do apologise, <laughs> but for years I remember right, before that. For years, there was like people talking about what does the cat's area of the ship look like? What's it? You know, what the cat must have like built his own wing, surely. And then when we see it, due to budget limitations, it's a broom cupboard full of women that are less than half of Danny <laughs> Jones' <Daniel's laughs> age. 
<laughs> but like in a comics world, if we were to see the cats, like he might, might took over an entire tube network and made it his. You never know. They modelled it on uh, Danny's hotel room at DJ. I feel like <laughs> as if he sort of he like like customised the train as well. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, for a start, it's a Northern Line train that's running. <laughs> But I like the idea that like it's sort of like a little mini red dwarf as well. It's like a little microcosm of the the ship. It's <laughs> the interior being red. That's a very. We didn't want the northern line to be red. Red. We called it red dwarf. We don't want it to be red. Uh, but there is another little uh, little thing in the next to the the sex shop. There's a uh, Reggie Wilson shagging up Chopin. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I've only just noticed now because I like you know, that. I don't know. I don't know whether funking up and shagging up a synonym. Yeah, funking up and shagging up Chopin. Because <laughs> shagging up Chopin is... is very good for the alliteration. Yeah. It's yeah, That's yeah. It's the, it's the only thing that works. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I guess we we go through. I mean, like word for word, this this comic pretty much is word for word, isn't it? Yeah, there's a couple um, of small omissions and and slight dents, but basically, yeah, it's just given a completely new setting. I just I just want to see this realised so hard. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> and then yeah. the um, the redo of the drive the in the drive room of series four. Yeah, set in the science room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fair fair play to them for attempting this, but. This scene is such a TV scene. You just can't get away from it. Yeah. But again, reading it in comics yeah. for the first time, possibly for the first time ever, it would have been... Yeah, it would have worked. It's a very yeah. clever... Like, it's very difficult to do, like, to yeah. stage, mm. and, you know. I imagine it was a nightmare for the TV show. Well, I remember I remember we talked about the novel version in Infinity has a version of this scene, and they made it work for the novel by having all the, the prose bits in between the dialogue be identical as well. Yes. And the sort of adapted it for there and Rimmer is kind of yeah the the Rimmer artwork is the same in each iteration pretty much sometimes we see it from different angles but the ones that we see from the same angle uh, yeah. is the same yeah, very true. Um, I've only just noticed that Lister has a plaster on his chin yeah because he cut himself shaving in the previous episode that is a very good catch I did not spot that <laughs> um, why is there a toilet roll Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a red dwarf thing. Is, is this like it's an like, infinite like... improbability thing, right? <laughs> For me, it's like the garbage pod thing of just like jettisoning shit out of the ship. Well, I again... thought like. Doug yeah. ripped it off for the extended opening of Ticket to Ride. And uh, Dear Dave, where the cat's about to shit himself. Oh yeah, but yeah, it looks like the ship has just emitted this toilet roll. Pink toilet roll, which is a very nineties thing to have different coloured toilet roll to match your kitchen tiles. <laughs> you could get pink and green and brown toilet roll as well as just white or yellow. I read the Financial Times because I have a pink bathroom. <laughs> I read the Daily Star because I'm a cunt. <laughs> yeah, and again like Lister's in his series four garb and doing classic series. It's just just nice, just like it's like a mega mix, isn't it? It's just um, it's just an enjoyable way of of re-experiencing a story you're so familiar with, which is completely different to what the purpose of this was originally. Yeah, and this is sort of going back to the episode in general, but I've always kind of found it weird. It's like, why should it be unusual that Rimmer can be in two places at once, or why why can Rimmer not just oh, yeah, kind of he's a, he's a hologram? He can kind of yeah. really sort of be projected anywhere. Yeah, maybe he wants there's to a be, glitch. But, yeah. But I just it was just like you know like, the whole thing of just like 
that shouldn't be unusual that you can just suddenly be somewhere. If you think about it, but on a on a more basic level, with um, like the purpose of holograms is to simulate what a, a real human would be, yeah. it would be jarring because Lister's used to Rimmer behaving almost exactly like a like an alive human, apart from not being able to touch things at yeah. this stage. So yeah, the whole thing is it's supposed to be an accurate simulation. So they they can be walked through, they can go through walls, but they don't. Like they they can't they can't initially they can't actually well they shouldn't really kind of do anything that would you know like freak people out. Yeah, but it would be efficient. <laughs> It'd be efficient to have someone be able to be like transported to another part of the ship. Very fast. Yeah, in emergency scenes. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, I suppose. But yeah, you're right. I'm just being a nickety prick. <laughs> well, why change the habit of a lifetime? <laughs> so true. In uh, the future echo of the cat running past saying, My tooth, my tooth, I think I lost my tooth. He's wearing an extra, he's wearing his zebra print jacket on top of his regular jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then when they go to the scene in the sleeping quarters, he's not got that on anymore. So there's a little clue for yes. the readers at home that it always not wears as it seems. They had more than one costume for the cat. And like, I mean, yeah, so that's another thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> an advantage of the uh, of the comics is it can do that. You can just have a quick character costume change without having to like have a half hour break in recording where you're going to yeah. run out of time <laughs> to finish the episode before the audience goes home. And here comes Peter Beardsley to explain the situation. <laughs> Dog dude. The rest of it, it's all, it's very dialogue heavy. Yeah. It's very exposition-y and thus is less interesting to be honest. So there is a, a thing with a big inflatable banana being passed about to give it a bit of visual interest. I think it's like <laughs> yeah, similar to the to the cat in the hat thing that was really jarring last time or the oh what was it? The little blimp flying around. Oh the little rocket thing that was yeah, yeah. the wind up yeah. rocket that was like yeah like less distracting than those but but just a bit of extra prop work. Yeah the banana from series two but everything yeah. else series I'm gonna say talkie series four as well which I've just noticed. There's a joke that I don't understand. Which is it seems that Cat at one point is he's got his fishing rod. He oh, uses yeah, it to <laughs> puncture a magazine yeah. or a book or a comic or whatever it is that is called Spirit by Will Eisner. Isn't Will Eisner a Disney person? Yeah. Or Bob Eisner. But the, it seems to be written in Disney font. Yeah. <clears throat> Will Eisner is an American cartoonist who is one of the very yes, he's a comic book artist who did Disney stuff. Okay, he actually yeah, did do a, a comic book called Spirit, and it oh oh yeah, it's the a, Spirit. It's just it must be just a a nod to him. Like, so it's it's a shout out to a, a shout out to, a, to another to a comic that he likes. Yes. Basically, we assume. But cat is stabbing it with a fishing rod. Yeah, so it implied still, that still can't get past that. It's, it's, Jabbed a fishing rod through, so it looks like he shot him through the head. <laughs> I thought it was a dig. <laughs> yeah, and Will Eisner still does his W like the like the Disney thing, so I can understand why you thought. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. But yeah, that's it. I, I did actually wonder about that. Yeah, we sh- I should have done that very basic level of Google. No, 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 no. It was, it was genuine. I didn't realize the actual book was important. I just thought it was just that Cat was doing something. I didn't realize it was a magazine. I didn't realize it was a. There is one thing that irritates me uh, about this. Is the words. <laughs> Lister picks up the photo uh, of him and the babies, the future Echo. Yeah. I don't think it's established one way or another now I think about it, but I've always figured that the future echoes are intangible. Yeah. That they're just visions uh, of, like, they're sort of echoes, shadow. well, they're sort of echoes, good one. (laughs) They're sort of (laughs) projections of the future, not something that you can pick up and interact with. Right, okay, so you can't, yeah, yeah, because you can't interact, because, like, yeah, Lister can't interact with the babies that he can see in the future, he just knows they're there. Yeah. And, Rim- and Lister and, can't, yeah. yeah, old Lister can't interact with. Old Lister, li- yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I can't, I can't see you, but I know you can see me. It's the fact, it's the thumbprint with the picture on it. That's the thing that's, that's the, that's the image they wanted to do here, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. Maybe the, maybe that's going to be echoed, yeah. uh, mirrored rather at the end. Anyone else notice um, the London Jets poster has Judge Dredd holding... I oh, yes. have <laughs> not noticed that until just now. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely just. That's really and a really cute picture of Lister and Frankie. Look at that! Yeah, like, the really cat's good. smiling. <laughs> you called it Frankie as well. Not... <laughs> <laughs> You're projecting a bit there. We just said well, projecting onto a certain other cat called Frankie. <laughs> she chair. doesn't smile though. Never. No, she doesn't. No, because it's a real cat, not a cartoon. <laughs> Cats can smile. No, unless you believe those lying cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> and there is an extra joke at the end. Two babies. How did I get two babies? Well, don't look at me. <laughs> well, that's because almost like a, a verbalisation of the visual gag. Yeah. It? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be a bit funny, but in a homosexual way. Yeah. I remember when my son was born. I held him in my arms for the first time and I was smoking a ginormous cigar. <laughs> I'm not sure they should be having bottles and dummies if they're just bought. <laughs> oh, that's a good point as well, yeah. Oh, no, you do, well, you, yeah, you do have I'm not, I'm not sure their hair would be dreadlocked <laughs> and tied up. <laughs> but they oh. are, like, they are genetically... Oh yeah, they are Those growing babies. quite fast, aren't yeah. they? So they're probably yeah, they're, oh, they're yeah, fast they're growing, growing fast. They? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Whether that is an intentional part of just <laughs> of this, or whether it's just yeah. let's make the babies look like <laughs> miniature listers and put a big cigar in his mouth. So they've already got irreparable lung damage, then. That's all right. Irreparable. Anyway, hey, who has the rights to publish Superman in the UK? Everyone, uh, I think it's um, I think it's Fleetway. Is oh Fleetway yeah, yeah, there you go. Edition. Hey, well, well they're, they're, you know they're spending some big bucks on on a full page advert. To be fair, they do have more than one advert in this book. <laughs> yes, they Spoiler do. Alert. They do. We do have some, but not until like with like three pages from the end. They've <laughs> got meant... them all bunched up towards the well, end. Well, yeah, they're there. <laughs> they are there. It's a bit like when you listen to a podcast and it finishes and then you, if you don't turn it off fast enough, you realise that they've put an advert at the end and you just think, what? <laughs> how, how does any advertiser let yeah. you put... Yeah, yeah. very odd. If, if I was the advertiser, I'd be a bit pissed off. Like YouTube yeah. videos do that quite a lot as well. They put a video yeah, YouTube right at the end. Yeah, the, the video's ended. Right and, the and end. it's like, uh, well, I could just skip that. Can't off. I? <laughs> 
But yeah, they, this Superman comic that they're advertising was only every two months. I assume it was like a compilation of... Like a bumper edition, yeah. Like sort of two months. Yeah, yeah the so first like Superman a, two months worth of American comics. That would probably make sense from a sort of a, a postage point of view as well, because it'd be really expensive if it was yeah. done sort of week... If it, if it was released weekly in America, it'd be really expensive to get that kind of stuff. But it would be worth it. It says action every two months, so it's probably... the. Yeah. Original or some of the original editions from Action Comics, where he first appeared. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's a monthly magazine, but every other one's a bit shit. There's not really much going on. <laughs> That's just it's Superman doing admin, just normal yeah. sort of Clark he, he Kent. He has stuff. no need, so he's just Clark Kent for the whole issue. <laughs> right. Oh, it's Clark Kent. He's taking his glasses off. <laughs> Is is half recognisable in this? Yeah. Was it? Uh, was it a Frank Skinner joke where he's just like, "Oh fucking hell, Clark Kent, some cunt, <laughs> some cunt in a cape just get, <laughs> was just in here." <laughs> it feels like it's Frank. I might have to have a look around for that. I don't know. Some cunt in a cape. Some cunt in a cape. Captain OK. <laughs> no, Captain OK. Ah, I'm joking, you cunt. <laughs> These are our brummy phrases. <laughs> we, we've got to get some laughs in because we're just about to go to the caption competition. <laughs> yes. Finally, the caption competition that was started in episode three, or yeah. issue three, if you're a magazine. And this is issue six, right? Yeah. We expected it every other month, but this yeah. one took an extra month to get such brilliant um, <laughs> results. <laughs> That's got the little bastard. It's 10,000 volts straight to the browning knob next time he utters the word toast. Which, to be fair, is at least a complete and coherent sentence. Yeah. Which the winner of the last capture competition wasn't. Yeah, I mean, they're not terrible. It's it's very easy to sneer, so let's do a bit more of that. But it is. (laughs) They're not terrible. You see that toaster, that's your girlfriend, that is. Perhaps inspired by the Mary Whitehouse experience, yeah. it says here. Perhaps. Otherwise, it might be a bit of a coincidence. <laughs> so that you know, the the actual answers in nineteen ninety two, fine, not particularly inspiring. But let's see if our much smarter, more sophisticated audience of twenty twenty two can do any better. As I get up the right tab on my computer. Ah, <laughs> oh, you almost completed the illusion there because you just ruffled some paper. <laughs> So we've had several entries from our lovely listeners slash readers. I mean, these were fucking months ago when people submitted these. So what was the you've picture? Probably forgotten. Oh, the picture is the picture I can see now. That yeah, yeah like, the same picture. We were complaining about this magazine being slow with this, but <laughs> we've taken that figure and multiplied it by six. Manny five oh six suggests: Did you enjoy your toast, sir? It was delicious, Crichton. Desmegginlicious. Could go for a fourth round. Lister foreshadowing emo hawk. That bit's in brackets at the end, but I like to imagine that that's <laughs> what's said. <laughs> Milo Scat. Sir, regarding Mr. Talkie's assertion that he has a copy of Big Jugs magazine in his crumb tray, I believe it to be an act of subterfuge. Crumb tray. <laughs> I think that's a, an accurate joke for the mid-90s. Yeah. The Big Jugs magazine. I, I assume Milo Scat's writing that in character. Uh, international debris, sir. If you could stop that inane grinning for a moment, we've got a toaster to batter. 
<laughs> he does look slightly demented though, actually. In, in this particular picture, yeah. it does look different than the one in. I like the directness of that one, I have to say. It's the staring yeah. to his eyebrows thing that's a bit sinister. Warbadog's entry is My suspicions that Listy and Critus have been kidnapped and replaced by doubles while holidaying on planet Doppelganger were twofold. One, they're out of character grins. And two, they actually wanted some of my smegging toast. <laughs> uh, Flapjack has uh, done theirs in character. They say this is from the POV of a wrong opinion having 90s Red Dwarf fan. <laughs> oh, it's uh, good already. During the recording of White Hole, Craig Charles and Robert Llewellyn are forced to cut and reset the scene after an audience member laughs at something. <laughs> so is that referencing the fact that White Hole wasn't popular at the time? I think so, yeah. Yeah. We'll find it because again, we're still waiting for the results of the oh, yeah. magazine episode poll, which I think are next time or maybe the time after. Oh, so it's we'll, so we'll frustrating see. doing this because it's like wait, like the like if this was if <laughs> yeah. we'd recorded this ten years ago, I'd be all right with the idea of waiting months for things to happen. But Jesus Christ, we live in a fucking age where you can basically <laughs> send a car to me; I can print it. That's the fuck. You know what I mean? Imagine, imagine how our listeners feel, Danny. Jesus. We're not getting any younger. Are we going to make it to the end of the magazines? <laughs> Let's find out. Uh, Dave suggests a deleted scene from White Hole saw Series 4 reprise the groinal attachment joke from Polymorph by having Lister connect his penis to a toaster via a length of phone wire. You can fax your dick to the toaster. Fax your dick to toaster. Don't fuck the toaster. <laughs> yeah, essentially. I love that blue oyster cult song. <laughs> I heard that. Oh, you see, these are things I want to do. I want to do Weird Al-style parodies of... <laughs> <laughs> Don't fuck the toaster. Put it in the crumb tray. <laughs> the crumb tray Come on, right. bagels. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's not going in. That's what the toaster says. <laughs> And finally, Clem offers a full dialogue. Torquay says, hey, didn't I used to be you? Crichton, I thought you used to be a magician. Lister, guys, don't sweat it. There's realities out there where I'm the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> Which is a reference to Alan Rickman. But when I first read it, I was thinking, what? what's yeah. Tony Robinson got to do with <laughs> this? This reminds me, actually, um, in the Robin Doug interview, like they couldn't name Alan Rickman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And or Alfred Molina. Yeah, yeah and or Alfred Molina. Yeah. Isn't that... We saw some funny? really big We saw some really big names who went on to be huge in Hollywood, but we better not name them. I think it's yeah, more yeah. like a... It's like a... Almost like an NDA kind of thing. Like there's certain yeah, things it's, it's like an unofficial and, uh, sort of statute of limitations yeah. of when, like, the difference between something being still recent and current decisions yeah. being made rather than something that years later you can make an anecdote it, out of. Yeah. This was only four years ago. At yeah. Time of printing, wow. Which is yeah. That's crazy. Amazing to think about, really. So, how do we do this? Should we just write vote? Uh, yeah. I like I like the wrong-headed 1992 fan one. <laughs> was that Flapper Jacko? It was. I like the idea of just of just shitting on Whitehall. One of the best episodes <laughs> of the of the whole show. Yeah. Just I I I like that idea because we did we did we did give them the brief of do it as if it was 1992 mm. and you do it. That is well. We encourage yeah. them, we encourage to, them to, to do that if sure. possible. Yeah. And I think I think Flapjack delivered on that brief. 
Yeah, say Flapjack one. It doesn't matter. We're not giving away any baseball clubs. No, to, to be clear, Flapjack, you're getting fucking nothing from us. No. Speaking of uh, free things, though, there was meant to be a Smoke Me a Kipper badge on the front of this magazine. I don't know what the fuck that looked like. Yeah, I've Googled it and I can't find any pictures of it. Sigh, show us. <laughs> well, yeah, at least someone of our listeners slash readers must have copies of this magazine that have all the free gifts attached to them. So if anyone's... If it's not in the show notes of this of this podcast, and someone send us a picture, and we'll put it in the show notes yeah. of this podcast. Are there any like make to order badge services that we could recreate the uh, design <laughs> and sell possibly. it? Nice. If we knew what the fucking design was, yeah, yeah. I my guess, and it is just a guess, is that it is the t-shirt design in a I badge think so, form. Yeah. Picture of Ace Rimmer in the, the classic, Kipper. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kipper. the profile shot. Either that, or it's just the words "Smoke Me a Kipper." I'll be back for breakfast on a badge. Depending on, you know, how easy it was to license pictures. But anyway, Indeed. there is, you'll be delighted to hear, all concerned, a new caption competition. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And they promise that the results for this will be in issue nine. So we do actually at least know that we're going to be waiting Just another three, three fucking issues for this. Yeah. So, yeah, do join in our brand new caption competition where we can read out your <laughs> your quotes and, and decide arbitrarily which one of you has won. This time it is a picture of Low Cat and Low Rimmer. That's that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the picture itself will be in the show notes. Yeah. Leave us your caption in a comment. Oh, and we forgot to say as well, send in your letters for holograms for next time as well. So, uh, if I can do that. And, yeah, with the caption competition, I don't know, do what you want, but, like, I, I definitely like the role playing as a 1992 idiot. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So I, you I to... you have seen this episode very recently, and you know exactly what. Because I think the reason we said that is because the first one, in the very first issue, was a picture of Mister Flibble, and it was before quarantine had aired. <laughs> so we had to tell people to put your minds in, <laughs> put your minds in your 1992 self. <laughs> put yourself in 1992. <laughs> That's allowed now. If they were children in 1992, <laughs> you're allowed now. <laughs> yeah. They're in their 30s. Why don't I get anything then? <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, so being character as someone from 1992 who's just seen Demons and Angels probably thinks it's the best episode ever. Apart from the fact that they've also just watched Back to Reality. Yeah, know. whoop, there goes gravity. I, I do wonder, actually. I'd be interested to see where Demons and Angels is in this first poll that they do. We'll hopefully find out soon, yes. relatively speaking. Yes, yes. But yeah, all that remains for this issue is a couple of adverts. I was a bit this disappointed, obviously, it just ended. Well, that's because we yeah we normally have the, the next issue preview being the last thing on oh, the yeah. inside of the, the magazine. But yeah. Instead, we have an advert for Max Athletic Cards which at least seems to be a genuine advert from an external company yes. that is not British muscle thermodynamics or whatever it Fucking was hell. last time. I did Google Max Athletic to see if it was like a subsidiary of Fleetwood. I was expecting yeah. that. <laughs> and I, I didn't see that, but what it did bring me up in, in the, in the um, results was there's a current footballer called Max Power. He yeah. plays for Wigan. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that's you know the only so they might still be related in some way they might be one step it, would, it wouldn't be but... a huge surprise like Panini famously yeah. do stickers and collector cards but also publish magazines so yeah. you can find scans of all these um, cards and stuff online 
it's like it seems to be a well-known it's fascinating thing. as well because th- there was a very specific athletics mania wasn't there Na- 92 to 96 i would say the well, two th- this, those two olympics as this was going out if going out as this was released in the shots uh <laughs> was the middle of the barcelona olympics yeah which we and, did really well uh Linford christie won gold as discussed in the news section mm. I think sally gunnell won something it's yeah it's it's all it's all the British Olympic stars that are on these cards. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's good. And then there was massive hope for 96, and Linford Christie fucked it, didn't he? Test or something. Linford Christie yeah. was like one of the biggest sort of stars on TV at one point in like the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like, because 1982, yeah. when was Gladiators a thing? Because that was around the same time, wasn't it? You will find out in a very soon to be, <laughs> very soon issue of this podcast. <laughs> okay, a very soon <laughs> issue. Because <laughs> obviously, like, it's kind of all this kind of fitness and kind of, almost like an American import of sport kind of came in. And that feels like where it all kind of stemmed from is like this, all this American stuff that it's a, like the wrestling stuff so, was already here, but you know, weird, weird concepts such as money and sport in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Premier League and uh, and everything that's happened in European football as well. No one would be buying athletic cards these days, would they? Definitely. I don't know. I don't know. I think probably not. But World Cup and Euros sticker albums are still a thing. Yes, there's yeah, like football card. There's definitely there's collectible football cards as well. I can't remember what they're called, but there's like obviously they're aimed at kids. Yeah. I don't know if athletics would have the same thing, but then I'd say that the effect of the 2012 Olympics was bigger than the 92 that's Olympics. True. Yeah, I don't know whether that's already sort of run out, but since then the Olympics. Has been bigger, more important than ever for in Britain. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because like, it wasn't, it wasn't just well. 2012, and then that was it. It's like we actually did well in 2016, and to an extent in the delayed 2021 as well. Mm. And finally, finally, an advert on the back page for Flights of Fiery Fantasy, which is written in the Stranger Things font. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh fuck yeah, <laughs> which is that kind of font contemporary. Used a lot of. Yeah. Fantasy stuff, which is what they were trying to work with yeah. the title sequence. I yeah. So this is for two books in the Deathgate cycle. What's this? Some lone, some some travellers on a crumbling bridge with a dragon breathing fire at them. I mean, these so these not... these awesome like <laughs> pictorial depictions of like these like like almost like you know Dungeons and Dragons style stuff, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, but like you right. know, yeah. Amazing, so Bantam, amazing artwork. Bantam. It's just Bantam, Martin. Harmless Bantam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like a novelisation of Nightmare. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, very sort of typical, but like very recognisable. Yeah, it, yeah, very evocative. Yeah, you know what you get of yeah what was what you'd see in bookshops around this time when you'd be looking for Red Dwarf stuff or whatever, Absolutely. which is what I was doing. Yeah, Bantam doesn't seem to have any. Connection to good. Well, they're making <laughs> pens um, owned by Penguin. This, the imprint of Penguin. Is now, any birds? Now they are. Uh, we've got next time, haven't we? Yeah, that concludes the issue. But we're going to go back <laughs> to the middle page and have a quick preview of what's in the next issue. The monsters of Red Dwarf. Ah, could be anything. It's just monsters. It's just monsters of the week, isn't it? Now, could be a comic. Could it be used to be like a proper thing. psychological horror story in space, and everything was grey and it was lovely. But then it's just monsters of the week. 
<laughs> Sorry. We also have Jake Bullet, the droid detective, gets on the case. Now that's that got, I'm looking forward. That's to. got promise. That's got promise. I'm looking forward <laughs> to a, 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 a like <laughs> a lot more than I'm expecting from Ace Rimmer stuff in the future. <laughs> Just Ace Rimmer turns up and fucks whoever he meets. But Jake Bullet <laughs> is, you know, although having having a porn style name does not. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Let's see where it goes. Yep. Is Hattie Hayridge's prediction of an orgy going to end up coming true? <laughs> uh, we also have Groovy Channel 27. Tune in for the latest funky progs. Holly's Data Bank. Hmm, sounds familiar. Ref Dwarf. Dave Lister in profile. I thought yeah, I'd okay that <laughs> Future Echoes. Echo the Fourth. Fashion Victims. Can you believe the cat is one? Oh, and there's an interview, a fun page, lots more smegtastic features, pin-ups, and more letters from the likes of you. <laughs> the likes of you. So they haven't done the interview yet, or haven't decided which interview to use by the time they write this preview, because otherwise they would have said it's an interview with yeah. X. Yeah. I've got to say, it's better be a good interview, otherwise um, this is shaping up to not be an all-timer of an issue. So have <laughs> we not had it? We've not had Norman. Um... Not had... We've had everyone. Chris, we've not had Ed. Chris, we haven't had Chris. Or, or have we had Chris. Oh yeah, we're not had Chris. Have we? we had Chris? I can't remember. No. I don't think we have. Oh no, no, he was talking about. He was talking yeah. about Chris, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? What? <laughs> 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 Oh, we definitely had Chris. Uh, yeah, he was in the first issue. Oh, he was the, right, he was was the first interview yeah. <laughs> of the series. <laughs> he goes and blows it like a big one. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So they've done, all four of the main cast have been ticked oh. off. Uh, and Hattie, so all five of the current cast. So it could even be like Ed Bay or something. I don't know whether they went into that level of detail with any extra, extraneous peeps. Yeah, Only no. Ian knows and he is not letting us know. Well, He's saying remains. nothing. I've just, I've just. Uh, I mean, to be fair, ahead. we could look ahead at this point because. Yeah, but don't. Yeah, but we're not. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Is there a quiz on the next one? You'll find out <laughs> next time on this magazine rack. <laughs> back on the rack. Uh, yeah, next time we're back on the rack. All these questions and more will be answered. Don't forget to send us your letters about the issue that we've just read, or indeed the podcast that you've just listened to. Plus, send in your captions of that photo of that low cat and rimmer, please. Uh, you can leave your comments over at www.ganymede.tv, or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay happy, stay positive. Staley Bridge resident John Bradbury has the honour of being one of the first white men to explore, survey and publish an account of the hitherto unknown expanses of America, an area which subsequently furnished the bulk of the cotton used in Lancashire and helped England lead the world in the era of the Industrial Revolution. A blue plaque commemorating his links to the area is sighted at the entrance to Staleybridge County Park. And as always... I mean, that's slavery, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's copied and pasted from the Staleybridge I'm, I'm Facts website. I'm surprised that blue plaque... That blue plaque is probably not there now. <laughs> the oh, honour of being one of the first white men to Where did you kill get all this cotton from, mate? Oh, I <laughs> bought it. I was exploring I was exploring and surveying and then there was just all this cotton I love, I love exploring and surveying me
Did, 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 did you get yourself? Well, I mean, you know, I got I got some help. I got yeah. Did you pay I, for that help? Did you pay up? Yeah. I mean, well, exposure is pain. It's a, it's a, like, expo- exposure to <laughs> the on, sun you know. and elements. Yeah, <laughs> exposure to typhoid-infested blankets. <laughs> the sun. Oh, slavery lols for you there. Merry Christmas, everyone. Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. And had more time to do it as well. Yeah. Ultimately, anyway. Can you hear that? Yes. Chasing rabbits. Chasing geeps. <laughs> I'll use this moment to open a cap. Okay, lads on tour. <laughs> no wonder they're crying so much. <laughs> Ian, that was niche as fuck. <laughs> The word you have here is irreparable. <laughs> irreparable. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you work on a fucking building site or something. <laughs> oh, dear. If that stays in, it's a link in the show. Magazine <laughs> only for monkey shaggers. So was he, being, was he being sniffy about people who work on building sites? Quite possibly, yeah. Which, the man which who is was famously, famously was working on a building site when he got the biggest job of his career. Yeah, <laughs> a bit weird. Anyway, she says. <laughs> <laughs>